podcast on this Sunday evening. Early, yet again. That's two weeks in a row, Pete. What's going on? Professionalism. <laughs> oh, I know. Oof, wow. So, uh, yes, tonight uh, we have with us a guest, our first guest of 2021. Um, but first up, uh, my my uh, co-presenter tonight, we have uh, Peter Ray Allison. Good evening, everyone. And our guest, Alex Davis. How's things? Good evening, everyone. Good evening. <laughs> so, Alex... Who are you? What do you do? Why are you here? Um, well, I, um, I work an awful lot in uh, literature. That's my uh, background. And um, the main reason I'm probably here is my uh, annual uh, sci-fi fantasy horror uh, event that I run uh, called Edgelit, which takes place at uh, Quad uh, here in Derby uh, each year, although obviously not last year. But uh, that's uh, going to be uh, talking a bit about uh, conventions and organising and uh, all, all things geek tonight. <laughs> cool. You know, when you mentioned Derby, I- I've been to Derby a couple of times. And my first ever experience of Derby was my girlfriend at the time uh, bought bought a table. And that table was from eBay. And she's like, it's, it's a steal. It's only like 40 quid. I was like, oh, Brill, where is it? Derby. So I had to go all the way from Manchester to Derby wow. to pick all up. across the Pennines. Yeah, pick up a table. Yeah, wow. For... Well, well. <laughs> yeah, so I was just like, so every time somebody says Derby, that's the first thing that comes to my head is picking up a crappy table for what that we got off eBay <laughs> to go across the way. It was such a trek as well just to get this table. But yeah, there you go. Wow. And you never even stop to say hello, Matt. No, Come I know. on, I'm a horrible yeah. person. <laughs> um, so, how how is your 2021 being treating you? Um, not too bad so far. Not too bad. It's been busy, uh, which is which is nice, and uh, it's how I like to be. But uh, lots of uh, proofreading, lots of editing on the go. Yeah, it's just uh, spinning the plates as per usual. So uh, yeah, it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. Um, <laughs> Lots of good, uh, lots of good telly so far this year. Thankfully, as well. well what, nice. what is it you've been watching? What, what I literally, I've literally about half an hour ago just finished watching One Division's first two episodes. Ooh, and, um, right. I haven't, I haven't seen them yet, but yay, um, nay, yay, nay. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I liked it. A lot. I'm slightly furious at Marvel and Disney for kind of only releasing two. I could have sat and watched merrily, sat and watched more than that. But uh, you know, we're so used to binging things, aren't we? So. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, my impressions from like the trailers, I've not seen any of it so far. Is that it seems to be kind of cribbing on the House of M storyline, of kind of like it's Wanda um, kind of manipulating reality because of the death of Vision and her children. Is that kind of riffing on the same thing? Um, it's kind of it's a lot of kind of intimation so far. So it's very kind wow. of there's lots of sort of it's sort of there's a surface level on which it kind of is a bewitched style black and white sitcom. Yeah, and then there's kind of this underneath level where there's just these moments that are slightly odd and slightly off kilter. Um, just kind of a moment where neither like someone asks them, "Oh, when did you guys get married?" and they're sort of they draw a blank. They can't. Neither of them has an answer. So kind of just little moments like that where you think something is obviously slightly wrong underneath. So it's yeah, there's a lot going on. It's um, that could well be it, but I wouldn't. It'd be too early for me to yeah. say for sure exactly where we are. Um, How many episodes it, are we getting? Um, I'm not exactly sure. I'm not exactly sure. I, say, I think I it's. I heard. Sorry. I heard it potentially. Well, I'm yeah. wrong. I think with the with the Winter Soldier um, and Falcon uh, one being six. Um, but yeah, so 
when somebody says eight, I'm just like, oh, I'm not sure if I can deal with eight. But Mandalorian was only about eight, wasn't it? So Mandalorian was eight, yeah. yeah they're so. quite short as well. I mean, they're only like 25 minutes. They're not sort of terribly long episodes. So it's, that's you true. Blow yeah. through. You don't blow through, blow, blow through it pretty quick. Yeah, well, that's the thing is I, I kind of prefer when things are shorter. One thing that really, um, like The Walking Dead used to frustrate me so much to the point where I stopped watching it because it had such... It had so much potential, especially, you know, at the start it was amazing, but then it just kept on going so formulaic. And I was just like, if you just cut down the amount of episodes you had, made them slightly shorter, and then just got to the bloody, to the bloody point faster, it would just, it would, it would roll better. But it, it didn't. And it was just sort of annoying. And I, I hate when they over egg things too much because they think, oh, we've got a good thing here. Let's just milk it. Let's milk it loads. So short, sh- I, I'm not against shorter, shorter runs of things, to be honest. I wonder if it's also sort of networks turning up and saying, hey, this is still making money. Could you do us another series? You know, it's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what happened to Bad Run 5, wasn't it? Kind of they said, oh, we, we're not going to have like 15. You're only going to have four now. So basically condensed like you know, two seasons worth of story into into one season. And then they saw how popular the fourth season was doing, oh, we want some more now. And Susan's going, well, I've just written the second season into the first, like, next season, into this season. So, yeah, he's basically, basically magic up an entire new storyline out of his ass. And it wasn't that good. <laughs> Sadly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's a fantastic writer and storyteller but he told the story he was he wanted to tell yeah yeah and that came across unfortunately in that final season yeah i think it's the thing with tv and, and film is sort of the the writers i mean like as, as a novelist it's kind of you're in charge of what happens but yeah. when you're a tv writer or a film writer you are sort of part of a team and part of a process and uh things can sort of happen around you um that that make it more difficult in a way you know you're, you're trying to tell a certain story and someone says you can't do that or you can't do this or we need to add this in and you're sort of you are compromising i suppose you're sort of you know you're working with other people um in a way that maybe you think oh, i wouldn't do it that way myself but <laughs> you know this is yeah this is the well no, i mean i've been watching what the expanse do with quite a lot of interest because i love the books and the tv series is in my eyes just as good it's different, but just as good. I mean, they really captured the characters. But I think, you know, it's getting, it's been, as they were, cancelled after the next season, the sixth season. But I think from, from what I understand, and this is purely conjecture and observation, so if I'm completely wrong, don't sue me, is that they learned that they can put the sets on in storage and they bring them out again, like they did when they transferred over to Amazon. So mm. with like you know, the books, they've, they've got to the sixth book now. So put it on hold for a few years and then come back to it a bit later because it, it can store the sets and come back and tell new stories in that same world using that same infrastructure. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, there's a lot more different ways to make TV and film now, which is great. And I think so. It's, it's quite a sort of nimble-footed business these days and, and yeah you look at disney plus you look at netflix you look at amazon prime you look at so all these other streaming services and kind of you have so many more options and possibilities and um you know many many a script writer has said to me like how much this has changed the way stories are told for for, for tv you know they're sort of thing well you know you would used to have a tv show per week at a fixed time and you had to have something sort of exciting in episode one to hook people in right away 
And now you have, well, I could write a sort of slow burning sort of two or three episodes and people will sit and binge and people will take their time to watch it and to enjoy it. And, you know, it's really changed the way that those kind of story arcs can, can work. So it's really, yeah, it's really interesting times, I think. Um, and I think that's exciting stuff, you know, that you can, you know, and I say with streaming, it's so easy to bring it back in a way. Yeah. You don't have to find a time slot. You don't have to think, oh, where, what, oh, where are we going to put this on our busy schedule on TV? It can just go, there it is on streaming. Watch it if you want or don't, if you don't, you know, that's uh, yeah, really a big shift. Yeah, I mean, also like how what the definition of a writer is is quite different now than it was. You could even say ten years ago, easily twenty, but possibly even ten, because like there's so many avenues of writing. It's no longer just being a writer; it's more like content creator. Yeah, I think you're right. Absolutely, yeah. And I think sort of um, obviously you've got all those different mediums. So you've got books, you've got scripts, you've got writers on sort of Patreon and Kickstarters, and they're sort of say that kind of content creator. Uh, vibe is there they're creating blogs they're creating youtube channels uh, so it is kind of yes yeah, really um changing i think it's that i think it's the a lot of it is sort of uh, it's visibility for, for for a lot of that sort of side of things actually they're sort of them used to be as you say like 20 years ago it probably was like you're the writer your job is to write a book and then sort of it gets marketed you know not exactly for you but sort of you know with you and i think what you're kind of finding now is authors are really expected to be very visible and very, like I said, they're meant to be out there sort of doing their thing quite a lot and creating kind of extra content. There's an old, old saying in marketing, the content is king and kind of the more an author can create on their website or kind of offer free or um, put out there on a discount then all that stuff really helps. So there's definitely a sort of, I say, I think you are moving away from that narrow kind of definition of a writer is someone who sits and writes novels and has them out with a major publishing house. You have, a really lively small press scene you have all the kind of self-publishing indie authors uh down that road as well so it's, it's, yeah it's a real it's a real shifting game right now which is yeah, and I think yeah. besides uh, script writing video game writing etc etc yeah i mean also i mean is content king now or is visibility king um i think i think for me i think content is what brings the visibility i sort of generally think yeah. sort of, for me that's kind of the way i look at it i mean you look at um I mean, Corey Doctorow was an author who sort of yeah. started some of this, but I think he, he um, put his first novel online for free. And kind of, as you can imagine, sort of his publishers were a bit sort of, what are you doing here? You know, what's, what's this about? And they found that his sales went up by virtue of him having this book out there for free. And I think this kind of started a bit of a different thought. But actually, well, do you know what? It, it benefits us to have stuff out there for nothing. So people can read a short story or read an extract or read even a full book um and i think sort of you can have a very visible whizzy looking website but if there's nothing on it you know that's kind yeah. of not and i've been there i've had a few blogs over the years and a lot of them sort of i i start off with best intentions and sort of three months later i think oh yeah i was doing that thing you know and it's just <laughs> kind of like it's just no content there's no reason for anyone to for anyone to visit and you look at guys like um you know like john scalzi someone who leaps to mind someone who has a really good lively blog with lots of really interesting opinions and kind of that that is that it's the content that draws people there you know his, his, yeah his name has become associated with really kind of interesting content i think so there's and, and doctor and cory doctor as well i certainly would would put in that yeah charlie strauss and richard welcome to i kind of regularly visit because i know what they put on their website is always going to be interesting to read yeah exactly that and i think it's quite, it is that sort of like you don't 
it's this thing of not just shouting about books, if you see what I mean. Like, yeah. Not just kind of going, I've got a book out, look at me. It's kind of, well, here's what I thought of this thing in the news. Here's what I thought of this thing on TV. I saw this film. Here's my opinion. I want to state something about uh, the genre more broadly. You know, those kind of authors who are um, almost not as any critics, but they kind of, they're sort of, they, they look at the genre and discuss the genre. That is really interesting to people because, because I think you sort of, an author is kind of a public persona now. I think that, again, that's one of those big differences probably from 20, 30 years ago is actually, you know, an author was kind of mysterious almost. You know, I sort of remember reading the books of my childhood and thinking, wow, I wonder what these authors are like. You know, they were sort of <laughs> alien almost. You know, so felt so, so, so far apart from, you know. And now it's kind of, if I want to find out a bit more about an author, they're bound to have a website. I could probably find them on Twitter. I can probably find them on Facebook. They're probably on any on any other number of social media. And there is this kind of public side that an author uh, put out, puts out there. You know, I think that's, that's as I said, that's a, that's a big difference. Um so yeah, definitely the content is is because what dri- what drives people, you know, if, if if Netflix sort of went, we're not putting any new stuff out for six months or anyone, you go, well, I'm stopping Netflix. I'll need the content, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's what I'm here for, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, so I think that's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, so, I mean, what you're saying about, like, um, right, uh, going for, like, their personal views, one thing I always look for on Richard Morgan's site is, is, is read, watched, and recommended, where he kind of gives his own take and and opinions on, like, the latest shows and books he's been reading. Because, basically, if I like what he's writing, then I'm pretty convinced I'm going to enjoy what he's enjoyed. Yeah, there's a good chance. There's a good chance, absolutely. You, sort of, you find, I think, ultimately, kind of authors that you that you chime with. You know, and in a way, probably even authors that you sort of don't chime with, you know, mm-hmm. um, you might think, well, there's an author you may like, um, you've read some of their sort of comments and things. You think I didn't, you know, I didn't feel the same about that. And that's all fine. Obviously, it's all a matter of taste and opinion. But yeah, I think those authors that you sort of find you, you click with. It's certainly, and the thing, the thing is, it's at least, it's always at least worth a look. Because I think, let's say you've got those people who are, you know, write, writers are readers and writers are watchers of films and, uh, you know, voraciously. So, you know, they're absolutely want to be up on what is going on in the field, you know. So actually they should, they're not going to be going, well, I only watched like two science fiction shows this year. <laughs> I thought this one was great. You know, they've probably watched all sorts and kind of, you know, the stuff yeah. they're recommending, it's probably going to be the best out of 50 or the best out of 100, you know, almost, you know, they're going to be, um, quite fussy and quite particular um, because they know the genre so well. And I think that's definitely, um, you know, and I always say it to people, it's kind of, you'll be amazed what people want to know about authors. You know, yeah. so there's a big thing about like, where do the authors do their work? You know, where do they sit? Where do they have their laptop? Um, like, where do they get their ideas from? If anyone's ever been to any writing, <laughs> It will always pop up. Someone will, and again, it's not. It's the. It's you know, arguments. It's a question that people want to know, of course. Yeah. Um. But you know, they want to know, you know, more about authors than than sort of ever before. And kind of obviously, what you have as well is a is a very well, usually we have a very lively event scene and convention scene and signing circuit, and you can sort of you know go and connect with these authors in in ways you never could before. Um. So yeah, that, that's. I slightly forgot the question, Pete. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> recommendations, yeah, totally, yeah. They'll they'll know their stuff. That, that, oh I yeah, absolutely. You, you are, you know, you are looking at someone who should be knowledgeable about their field. I mean, yeah. the vast majority of cases is going to be knowledgeable about their field to to write what they write. You know, to yeah. write well in their genre, they should know about their genre. Yeah, because I was chatting with Sarah Pembra uh, many years ago at uh, Edgelit, and she said, like, know how she had like had her own kind of very public persona. 
which kind of presents to like you know, the readers and at uh, the conventions and online. And there's also, but that's kind of like a you know, front she puts up when she's kind of to promote herself and and yeah, but, but it's quite different to what she's like when she's sat at home with the dog. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think I think in a way most authors do that you know i think yeah. so obviously there they are there is a kind of um maybe not most but i think there certainly are some authors who are out there sort of they have to consider i say how they i mean i suppose the thing actually the thing i would say is actually we the pro- thing they probably do the most is actually they come across very confident yeah and i can tell you from first-hand experience that a lot of authors are not very confident public speakers i mean you, you invite people to come and do something and you know you, you often get this kind of like oh Ooh, really kind of do you want you sure you want me to do that or kind of you know oh, i've never done that kind of thing before or um you know there, there's quite a sort of um imposter syndrome is, is the term that authors float around a lot and it's so i've seen it so many times you know it's so it's so true so i think probably the biggest sort of persona is i'm a really confident public speaker uh, because <laughs> many people are not very confident public and they sort of they go and i always kind of say to people um i think i've done my my share of public speaking obviously and i think you're never as nervous you never look as nervous as you are sort of yeah. thing. That's you sort of state to the audience feeling a bit nervous they probably would never know you probably would never tell uh, that you were that nervous about it so uh, but yeah i think there is sometimes there is a sort of public face but i think the thing is very often the public face is is very close to the author it's kind of maybe an extension uh, of the author and maybe a slightly uh, maybe an exaggerated version potentially yeah. I think definitely there's kind of I don't think anyone's out there sort of um, you know secretly sort of um, you know I don't know secretly incredibly different from their sort of mm. public persona I think that sometimes they say it's an extension or kind of an exaggeration of yeah. who they are sort of sort of day by day um, but yeah it's interesting I say when you get to know authors as well it is really interesting to kind of to, to sort of um see him in those kind of down moments you know and sort of see him in those kind of i remember i mean the one i remember distinctly was my first ever event that i ran was uh, an, an event called alt fiction which which was pre-edgelet yes and um the sort of everyone said oh, we're all going out for a curry you have to come and join us and we took over this curry house in Dyer. and i say took over um there was about 20 turned up in the first place and people just kept coming in they just kept adding chairs and so basically there was this kind of long table to the middle of this restaurant with probably about 40 people on like just kept kind of arriving and oh, we're with that group we're with that group and they're sort of are you really you honestly want more chairs and tables um and it was just kind of, it was, that was a real like wow kind of it's the first time i'd seen these people kind of out of that sort of public mode and it was just so chilled out and so relaxed and so sort of um yeah it was just really it made made me realize kind of almost you know that uh yeah, is that sort of, I say, authors are sort of very distinctly human, you know, say from that, sort of, from that impression <laughs> yeah. when I was a kid, the authors were kind of, um, you know, set in ivory towers. It's, you know, it's it's not that way at all. You know, they're very, uh, very friendly, very down to earth, very, very chilled out on the whole, definitely. Yeah, because I remember um, one edge did where I went out for a meal afterwards with Paul Kane, um, Marie, his wife, yeah. uh, Sarah Pimbra, and... Um, the gentleman who played the Chatterer Beast from Hellraiser. And oh, a few uh, others. Nicholas Vince. Nick, Nick Vince. And yeah, it's just like, no, this is the guy that was like, played one of the most horrific creatures oh, yeah. in Hollywood. And I'm sat having a curry with him. <laughs> it was a, and he was a lovely chap. And yeah, like, no, yeah, it's like chatting away and like just talking yeah. books and modern life and like kids and everything. And he's just like, 
this is completely different to what I expected. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the one I the one I always remember on that front, kind of feeling the most sort of starstruck I was, I suppose, was the night before One Edge lit and um, uh, John Gerald, uh, claimed agent, was one of our one of our guests. And um, oh yeah, yeah, Ian Banks and Harry Harrison were around. But they said, "Oh, we're all in town. Do you want to come out for a curry?" And I was like, sat at this table with John Gerald, Ian Banks, and Harry Harrison, thinking. Like, what am I doing here? Like, well, how, did, how did this happen? <laughs> you know, sat at a table with SF royalty. That's absolutely madness. You know? uh, um, but I say, it's just incredibly, you know, um, yeah, just lovely, lovely guys. And absolutely, you know, the Harry and other three of them just full of stories and great anecdotes and really great characters, you know. And it's, uh, yeah, no, it's lovely to um, get to know people on that level. You know, it's one of the real sort of perks of, of my job, really, is actually you know, sort of, um, there's authors I've kind of always wanted to meet a lot of whom I have met now, a lot of whom I've got to know and sort of, you know, we, we sort of chat on Facebook and, you know, uh, we're out for drinks post events. And yeah, it's really nice. It's really so nice. What, what is Edgelet? You've mentioned Edgelet a few times. Um, what it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What is Edgelet? Yeah, so my, my, my day job, I'm currently on furlough, so I should put that out there for now, but I'm, my, my day job, such as it is, is literature officer uh, for Quad. So basically my kind of uh, uh, role is to put on a year-round schedule of events and kind of the um, main And what is Quad? Quad is our um, independent cinema, art gallery, and arts venue uh, based in Derby, uh, two sc- uh, three sc- cinema screens, uh, say art gallery downstairs, all kinds of workshops, events, meeting spaces. So yeah, really, and a really popular venue in the city as well. That's and um, so my my role there is to put on kind of a whole host of erotic events that takes in workshops, that takes in readings, takes in book launches. But kind of edge is sort of the thing that is the sort of um, the biggest thing that I do each year. Basically, say is a uh, one day or actually two day last year, not last year, two days in 2019. Should I correct myself? Um, two day event for the last time around, uh, which is a science fiction, fantasy, horror uh, event with a bit of kind of crime sprinkled, thriller kind of sprinkled in here or there. Uh, but that's been running for eight years now. Last year would have been our ninth. Obviously, we couldn't run that in the circumstances, um, and we get about sort of 300 people each year now. So it's grown from sort of um quite sort of small beginnings we had sort of just under 100 for our first time round that every year it just seems to kind of grow and grow uh which is lovely and we've had some some great guests over the years um i think sort of like john connolly um sarah pimbra's a regular she's our patron so she's always sported the event um really uh fantastically uh joanne harris uh, peter hamilton alistair reynolds charlie stross um Paul Tremblay came over as our yeah. first US guest. I, re- I remember Charlie Stross for two reasons. One is um, his comment during a talk he gave one time, which was, if anyone ever says cybersecurity, they haven't got a clue of what they're talking about. And he was absolutely right. <laughs> and the second was that me, Steve Poor, and a couple of others were sat around during the pool quiz. We saw like, Charlie was to one side. So we invited him to join our, our team. And I was, I was sat here thinking, I love this guy's books, and I'm currently <laughs> sat here having a pub quiz with Charlie Stross. <laughs> this is so effing cool. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was absolutely nerding out. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, what, what we do each year, basically, so we have kind of panels, we have guests of honor interviews, we have workshops. Um, it's a big, long, it's quite an undertaking. It's a big old effort, and we probably have sort of six or seven activities at a time um got a brilliant team of volunteers the red shirts a big big shout out to uh to pixie and, and all the other red shirts out there uh, joe and everyone 
uh, God bless the regulars. I'll be absolutely lost without them. Um, so yeah, that's our that's our, that's our that's our, that's our, you guys obviously there's nothing out there at the moment because obviously things are all slightly up in the air. But um, I'm sure, if you go looking around Register Derby, you'll find something from previous years and blog reports and um, some of those past activities. So yeah. Would Would you think about doing a if if obviously this this nightmare that we're all in doesn't sort of end anytime soon? Would you think about doing it sort of online, remote, like some of the other conventions um, are doing? It, it, it's something I've given some thoughts on. So I'm on furlough for now, so I'm kind of, kind of in a position where I'm obviously not allowed to do anything with that particular hat on, with the quad hat on. But um, it's something I, I, I've given some thought to, and um, A-Lot will just depend when I get the summons back, really. And kind of obviously, I, I sort of, I think a lot of people in that boat have kind of, I know there'll be a point where work won't be back, but I don't know exactly when it's going to be. But obviously, while we're in national lockdown and even sort of tier tier four and tier three you couldn't open cinemas so we were absolutely and that was just the position we were in was the venue just couldn't be open so um i i would i wouldn't be averse to do that i mean i I, like a lot of people i approached all this kind of online activity very sort of cagely uh, a little bit wearily and a little bit carefully um i have grown to like it a lot more and get a lot more comfortable with some of the tech but it would definitely be another level up Hmm. to do that sort of thing i kind of try and get multiple threads at a time and sort of organize that many people to be in a a virtual room you know so i think there's definitely will be a lot to think about but certainly something i'd be um amenable to if the chance uh, if the chance came up um i sort of you know the, i mean i remember sort of doing my first virtual uh lesson at university because that was one of the things i was teaching at the university uh, early last year and obviously we went from physical to virtual with everything going on and sort of like, well, what is this thing? You know, sort of, <laughs> kind of, I went for a very long discussion with IT, who very kindly talked me through everything and made me feel a lot better. But uh, there was that immediate kind of blind panic moment where you think it's a whole new world almost that I've got to get accustomed to. Um, and I think kind of now a bit further along that process, yeah, I think that that's something I would I would consider. I think I think it's gonna. I think the world's gonna be a completely different place at the end of this, um, especially with regards to work. Now, um, I went from going into an office in Manchester every day, which was a massive pain in the ass, to be able to work from home on my own, my, my better PC, you know, bigger screens, being able to sort of kind of you know just stand there downstairs at sort of half eight in the morning and. Uh, um, you know, I can do all my work from home. All 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 the clients and stuff I deal with seem to be sort of you know happy enough to do stuff over Skype, not Skype over like Zoom and uh, mm. over uh, Microsoft uh, team, Teams. Teams, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I have a you know I I just have a feeling that a lot of a lot of companies might just sort of you know keep with that they might just keep with letting people sort of kind of work i know my office i'm pretty confident my office will not force people to come back in full-time anymore one because they can downsize the office uh and two um you know it just makes people happier and stuff as much as i i, I enjoy people's company i'm a people person so i like sort of going in and i, I like the banter i hate mm. commuting I, you know, I like the being that when I get there, I'm happy enough. I hate commuting. It really does my not in. I, I hate having to get up early as well. It's just, it's something I've never been able to deal with getting up early. <laughs> well, I mean, um, wife kind of negotiated with her work that when everything's over, if she can continue working from home, and they said, well, yes. I mean, like you've proven over the past year that you can, you know, comfortably maintain the same level of productivity and efficiency as if you were in the office. So, 
why not? The only downside is I have to provide IT support. Yeah. <laughs> I keep saying like no, I'm gonna have subcontract get get a subcontract out and start invoicing their IT department. Well, like I was um you know, I there's days when I'll I'll have not a lot on, so it's quite flexible for me. So I can kind of go off, take the dog for a walk or do something, you know, um and you know, nobody knows the difference and it's fine. Um but then there's other days where I you know, my boss needs something. Because I'm working from home, it you know I don't begrudge doing extra time afterwards and stuff. Um, and like I was on Friday, I worked like ten and even, you know, uh, doing something for him, uh, for my boss, and it it didn't bother me because you know it swings and roundabouts and stuff, and I, you know I I like that I like that flexibility as much yeah. as I miss Oop. people. Um, you know, well, I've got my podcast, I've got sort of, you know, other things that I do to keep in contact with people, but I, I like working from home. You know, it, it does, you know, for me, it's it's a good thing. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, I've, I find kind of, I think, um, I think what you kind of end up with is probably sort of a hybrid, really. But I think so what, what we've realized, I think for years, in a way, like people have been saying, you couldn't have everyone working from home. Like you need to be in the office. You need to be here. You need to be having the meetings. You need to be uh, sort of talking to all your colleagues and sort of, you know, that sort of thing. And I think what this is, and it's been kind of needs musters that they will try. It's been so we just had to do it. But I think suddenly I say that a lot of companies and businesses and uh, are going to be looking at it. So well, actually, you know, this, this does work and it may not work the same for everybody, but there yeah. probably will be, so there will be a lot of companies sort of saying, you know, Actually, you know, why do we need an office? The, the, the whole business has run fine during during this period, or should we shrink the office? Or you know, there'll be a lot of companies having those discussions. I'd, I'd be willing to bet, um, and that could really change the sort of life as we know it in, in so many ways. You know, um, I, you know, I've I've freelanced for a number of years before taking on a, a paid sort of employed role, so I'm I'm fairly used to work from home from from many years past, and. Um, I think for a lot of people, it's definitely a bit of a culture shock. You know, it was something very different. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think there will be a sort of a middle way. That's what you'll ultimately find. There'll yeah. be this kind of hybrid, and you'll be in the office maybe some days, but not all days. Or mm. you'll sort of, you guys come in Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and then you, you the team B comes in Tuesday and Thursday. I thought there'll be something that companies will look at. I think, well, is there a, a middle ground we can strike here? Yeah, I yeah, I would agree. I think you know, yeah. That, that, that probably would be something like that though it is going to have if everybody starts working from home more often it's going to have a knock-on effect uh, on high streets and stuff now i was thinking about this like i work in the center of manchester um and if my office you know were you know there's a fair few people in there if they all suddenly started working from home that's a big chunk of business that the the surrounding shops aren't going to aren't going to get and you know, the only shop I would actually physically go into um, on a regular basis is uh, Element Games in Stockport. Um, so I sort of like, you know, my gaming store or Games Workshop. And that's sort of, that's it. You know, all my tech stuff, I'll buy online. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I guess I'll, I'll go to the shops to buy food and things like that. But pretty much if I can buy it online, I'll buy it online. And, it, it, you know, as long as it comes the next day, <laughs> that doesn't bother me. The oh, only yeah. things Amazon that I need, Prime. the only thing, you know, <laughs> I, I'm so I'm super patient with most things, bar when I want something. If I want something, as long as it's got Amazon Prime, I can deal with the next day. 
Um, <laughs> the only thing I have the sort of kind of like I need now is if I want my plastic crack. So I need my sort of um, my my Space Marines or something like that. I, I have to go out and get them straight away. So that's where I'll physically walk in and buy something. It's more because I can browse and then I've come in for something that's worth 40 quid and I've left with things worth 300. And <laughs> 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 that's sort of that's that's my thing. It's just, you know, yeah, yeah. I used, to work, I used to work at Games Workshop many years ago. I was um, one of the editors for Black Library. Ah, oh, wow, yeah, brilliant. Many years back, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, exciting times. Yeah, quite a, quite a place to work. I mean, like for a head office, sort of, you've got a, a dwarf bar. You've got, you know, the Games Workshop um, mega store thing there. You've got all the gaming tables. Um, yeah, really a great place to work. Really looked after you, definitely, yeah. One of the, uh, there's a guy who, yeah. from my village, actually, um, uh he's from my village and he used to work in the belfast uh the belfast um games workshop when we had we didn't have one for ages like and then uh he now works uh i think he's like he's pretty high up uh he's a guy called paul hickey and he works in uh in in nottingham uh and uh, i don't i don't speak to him very often he's on my facebook and every now and again i get a like on something that's like oh he's still yeah, 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 <laughs> it's yeah. just like yeah so yeah yeah but, no it's uh yeah it's um expensive hobby isn't it so it's great stuff but it is you know you can very easily sort of i'll just get a couple of these and then yeah yeah they have been their profits have been like you'd think everything would be going down especially you know you can't you can't sort of you know interact with people but games workshops sort of uh shares not shares their their profits are going up because oh, yeah. people are bored and so just buying stuff and then well obviously. yes there's two reasons <laughs> for that one is Painting miniatures is very relaxing and yeah. meditative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And secondly, The Witcher, um, Henry Cavill, has, has basically like done videos of himself painting, yeah. and suddenly everyone wants to be Henry Cavill. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. So how, how long were you at Black Library for them? Uh, about two years, about two years, yeah. Um, worked a lot of the... Um... Oh, well, worked with everything really, the Horus Heresy stuff, worked on uh, a lot of kind of 40k, the Age of Legends, um, yeah, all sorts, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, kind of mostly there was kind of managing the sort of production sort of, so it was, I was sort of dealing with the proofreaders, the copy editors, kind yeah. of talking to uh, the, design, the kind of uh, cover design guys. It's kind of, so it was kind of a sort of quite a nice kind of sort of midwifing the books in a way. Kind of, there was the editors above me who were sort of, working with the authors and sort of choosing what went out and those kind of things. But I was, yeah, sort of um, seeing it through from sort of, yeah, start to start to fit quite broadly. But yeah, it was, I don't want to oversell it. I sound like I was sold it there. I was going to not see <laughs> But I, um, yeah, great. I mean, yeah, it's a great, and sort of so many really good books. I think that's kind of the thing that people kind of underestimate actually, you know, the, a lot of those black library books, like whether you, whether you play the game or not, are really good books. Actually, yeah. <laughs> are really good writers. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah um, there is like, you know, a distinct demographic of people that read black library books, but do not play the games. They just want the lore and the background. They yeah. don't want to play the games and pay the minutes. They just want to read the story. And that is for a franchising game line. That's rare. Yeah, very much so, very much so. And I think it's kind of, well, I think, so if you think about sort of fantasy and SF, kind of so much emphasis was kind of or so many people put a lot of emphasis on world building actually so what games workshop has had i mean yeah. how many years of world building now so you know 30 40 well yeah well the first the first edition of warham 40k rogue um trader. like rogue trader three quarters of that i'm pretty certain was just world building it was just yeah. background and law and yeah. history and 
I could have just skipped all the rules. Oh, this is really good. This is yeah, really yeah. different and distinct. Well, then you you pick up the individual codexes, and you've got background on every species and every kind of creature, and all the different legions of space marines. And kind yeah. of, you know, it's it's just it's probably richer than anything almost. You know, because yeah. it's not just one person doing it; it's a whole team of people. You know, creating these things. Yeah, the, the, the um, Horace Heresy, bits, the Horace Heresy stuff just being like it's something that as a child, like I, I remember I was given the Rogue Trait when when Forty K came out. My father, um, I, I don't know why he, he obviously just you know was like I need to get him something. Here's these things called Space Marines. He got me a little box of Space Marines, um, and uh, the Rogue Trader book. And he sort of kind of gave me to. I remember getting. I've still got it. I've still got a, a copy of the Rogue Trader, and um, I was just like, "This is the best thing ever." And I just like, I I remember my primary seven, uh, my primary seven project in school was on um on space marines and on uh on rogue trader and stuff and it was just like you know i was trying to tell people about this and they're like what is this madness and i was like it's amazing it's just like and there's this guy called you know just the emperor and there's there's horus and stuff and i'm you know this was like early 80s right proper early 80s and stuff and um loved it absolutely love it and you know just the horus heresy stuff for me has just been you know it's like it's like like Lord of the Rings, you know, when they, they back I grew up with the books and then they had the cartoon and, you know, there was the radio show and then when they brought out the films, I was like, Oh my god, it's like my dreams are coming true. <laughs> and the same with like the Horace Heresy books, because it's like they're actually reading in they're they're creating, you know, prolonged lore for something that I've been into for so long. Yeah. And, you know, I love it. Um it's it's getting slightly frustrating for me because I'm one of those sort of needs the sort of limited edition new versions and they're bringing out these sort of like uh, these, yeah. you know, these these lovely sort of bound versions of the books, mm, especially for the, for the Solar War. And they keep on selling out within about five minutes and they keep on getting scalped online and it's frustrating the fuck of me, out of me because it's like, you know, it's like these people are doing this on purpose and they're, you know, I know it's, it's uh, capitalism and stuff, but it's like, literally I, I was on time. I was like, right, set my alarm, 10 o'clock. I'm going to get in the games workshop thing. I'm going to buy that. And it was sold out. I couldn't even get it. And now they're on eBay for like 200 quid. And I'm just like, oh, you, you bastards. There was someone who chance there are, isn't it? There was yeah. someone who yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I remember when they, Games Workshop first experimented with um, novels back in the late 90s, mid 90s, with uh, Inquisitor by Ian Watson. Yeah. And Conrad by, is it Kim Newman? The new- yeah, yeah, Kim Newman wrote it, under, under pseudonym. Yeah. But I mean, this wasn't just like, you know, some, these were high level authors that they were bringing in to write franchise fiction, which is, you know, for a long time, tie in fiction has been looked down on, but not anymore. Yeah. And that, those Ian Watson ones were, I mean, were just wild. They were so oh, yeah. sort of. I loved that. I loved that. Yeah, I mean, brilliant, but absolutely, yeah. like you know, so different in a way to what you would see out there now. You know, because yeah. it was uh, so much earlier in the journey. You know, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, fascinating stuff. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just can't wait. One for the Forge World Emperor versus Horus with Sanguinius dead in the ground. The dire, the, whatever they bring out, sort of model wise for that. And two, the story that sort of, you know, that final book or the, yeah, you know, yeah. where, you know, where the sort of like that happens and stuff. And yeah, I, I, I'm loving the fact that they're making the Emperor 
more human he's he's not a you know the fact that he's sort of like he's just a super super powerful being but you know i like the fact that he has flaws and he has he makes mistakes and stuff and i you know just the books especially the solar war books not sort of the um the siege of terror books sorry they're bringing adding to that and it just i love it it's just you know yeah, yeah. i can't get enough of it you know really really sort of what was it saturnine was the la- was it the saturnine the last one i think it was yeah where yeah. they had um they give you know it show, it tell they tell his name you know and it's got sort of uh you know how you know it, it doesn't paint them in a great light and stuff i just i love it i love that sort of gray area i love that gray area and things it Who really thought that the leader of a like a fascist dictatorship in the far future was not a nice guy. I know, but you know, it's just like you sort of. I know space marines and stuff are are effectively um, space fascists, aren't they? But it's just like you know, you, the emperor sort of has always been painted as this sort of all all knowing, all sort of you know good sort of like creator. You know, he is he is the god emperor. But, you know, they're starting to paint him in a sort of, you know, it started in The Master of Mankind where, you know, it's when he sort of refers to, um, he refers to, like, uh, the Primarchs as numbers and, uh, you know, because they're just tools for him and stuff. And it's like, and there's certain things that he, you know, he does and he says when you do get him or when people are describing him and stuff where it's just like, he is a flawed being, but, you know, and it, you can kind of see there's two edges to it. You know, yes, he is trying to save humanity, but yeah, he is a bit of a knob sometimes. And it's just sort of, you know, it's great. I love it. I think it's really good. Um, so it's, yeah. That's not, that's not a direct quote from the book. I'm sure. No, it's not. <laughs> no, I, I like it. Emperor of mankind, the bit god of, emperor, bit of a knob. Bit of a knob. Yeah, bit of a knob. I think that should be the, ne- should be like the next title of the book, bit of a knob. But it's, yeah, yeah, but it's just like he does stuff like, you know, I there's there's sort of they do it in a way so you can maybe, you know, you can read a bit more into it. So it's like they say that when you're um, when you're reading about the emperor, the emperor is who he is to the person he's talking to or to the person. So, you know, he's talking to and I can't remember the name of the character in the mastermind he's ad mech he's a tech priest or a tech archaeologist or something um oh fuck what's his name it's going to annoy me but anyway and so he's very sort of obviously being ad mech he's very sort of they there's no sort of nuance or anything it's literally just zeros and ones it's binary and therefore when he talks about the primarchs they are zeros and ones they are numbers uh so for us as human beings we're thinking well that's a bit harsh you know these they call him father and stuff but he's talking to he's talking to a tech priest or you know who's who doesn't really care you know as a number is as a number but you know i just think uh as you know as a character it's just you know he's just get, it's just getting better and better you know and i'm just i can't wait for the end i can't wait to see what happens but i'm gonna be so completely lost and <laughs> but yeah there's so many authors work on it as well i mean so much talent involved yeah in yeah you say you've when I was when I was involved, it was sort of Dan Abner and Graham McNeil and yeah. uh, Jay Swallow had done a couple. Uh, Gav Thorpe was just starting to get involved. Gav's great, great author. Uh, so yeah, real, you know, and even yeah, that yeah. list has kind of ever increased. Uh, and, uh, yeah. yeah, we've heard that um, Agent Tchaikovsky is involved now as well. Yeah, fabulous, fabulous. I hadn't heard yeah. that. That's good news. I can see, well see that working. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, basically, he um, so I think he saw some artwork. 
uh, at a convention. We're not allowed but, to. Uh, are we sure we're allowed to say this? By the way, Pete. Yes, we are allowed to say this. Um, it has, <laughs> yeah, it has been announced. We can't say exactly what, but it yeah. has been announced, and okay. that is fine. <laughs> okay. I, I don't mention. I don't mention what the art piece is. I'm sorry if I'm wrong. But he does talk about the art piece within the podcast he's in with us. Exactly. Just, there, basically, there's it, a thing it, he told it, us afterwards, which we're not allowed to say, but we can talk what about. We're that not part. saying. Yeah. <laughs> basically, he saw the art piece and thought I could write that and approached him about it, and they said, "Good, yeah, go on then." Yeah. So yeah, but yeah, I mean, actually, one thing I wanted to bring up was like first there was alt fiction, then there was edge lit. Yeah. Why the change and why the change of name? Uh, long story. I was sort of um, so to try, it's kind of a it's sort of a job thing basically. So all fiction I started when I was working for Derby County Council, uh, City Council, no less. In fact, uh, literature officer there. In fact, that was my role at the time. And um, I pitched this to my then manager, uh, Pete Meakin, and um, basically he said, "Yeah, go for it." And I was kind of I was pro- I was how old would I have been at that time? 24 something like that sort of you know much younger man than i am now <laughs> and um we, with very little experience to kind of really go i'm going to do this thing and kind of just go and do like a convention and sort of um you know just go off and do it and so a lot of people were very, one of the things that really struck me in that first experience how helpful people were so many people was emailed a few people that i sort of wanted along and they were like oh you should talk to this person and talk to that person or i've worked with my publisher and everyone was just like it's kind of someone's trying to do a thing let's see if it would help do the thing uh which was great and uh, so that ran for three years of the council my post basically became uh not redundant what's quite the word just sort of phased out of the council basically the arts team sort of got as as budget cuts came in sort of got and again it does happen it just got a bit shrunk and shrunk um so i went off to uh black library on the back of that um i did alt fiction a couple of years with writing east midlands um and basically uh the event moved to leicester for a year because writing east midlands were yeah. really to move it around are there in east midlands organization so absolutely you know as well as, as they should be doing um and sort of quad came to me and said well we sort of we really liked having it here you know we kind of it was important to us we thought it was really kind of um cool could we do a similar thing and i said well yeah you know of course we could but we, we couldn't call it all fiction and <laughs> sort of so hence edgelet was born um so yeah it's kind of just numerous different job roles and i say the 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 time i had with writing east midlands uh came to an end and yeah this was sort of the na- next kind of natural progression really quite not even been open that long at that point quite i think it'd been open about a year when we were kind of having this conversation about hosting um a, a convention maybe a couple of years actually yeah certainly we're not we, we did did one there and they really liked having it there and um i'm getting my timeline mixed up maybe we did two there anyway that's all the specifics you know <laughs> they basically yeah we did it's a long time ago it's a long time all blurs into one but uh no yeah we did um and so, so that was how that kind of progression happened basically and kind of the thing for edge that is quads really kind of they want that to be our event and our brand you know we, we we like having that here we don't want to be sort of having you know, wanting to um to move it around uh, this they see it as part of their sort of summer schedule in july um is a relatively sort of um relatively quiet time for independent cinema you know for your big blockbusters it's probably doing gangbusters but actually for, for your independent cinemas where you are showing more independent films 
it's not that busy a time of year so it fits really well into their schedule fits really well into the kind of convention calendar there's not really another big yeah. event that close to it so it fits into that kind of summer uh window quite nicely um so that was the that was the journey um effectively and so really since that year one you know i think what was really encouraging for me is the kind of quads kind of long-term support if you see what i mean because it took time to build up that's the thing kind of any new entity even though it was kind of had a, a sort of a history almost um in another guise you know they, this was a new name and a new identity and then a new thing that people had to get used to and they were very much kind of well we just want you to just build it just go and build it up and sort of say within sort of three four years we were um you know numbers had, had sort of well probably not in that time numbers have doubled so we were doing you know so sort of we'd, we'd come a long way from year one so um yeah so that was the the progression there so a lot a lot of different and again with, with you know no um no fault on anybody really it was just yeah. kind of circumstances that the roles were coming to an end and sort of you know this um opportunity came up to do something um to to continue running a convention each year basically and um we also did for a few years a, a spin-off winter event called Sledgelit, which was uh, quite entertaining. But I, 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 I love. I love Sledgelit. I love Sledgelit because me, me, I work from home. It's yeah. like you know, so I don't have the office Christmas party. So yeah. Sledgelit for me was my Christmas party. Yeah, that that was the idea. That was exactly the idea. And it was smaller, but it was it was really fun. People did seem yeah. to really um to really like it but it never it never got quite as big if you saw me it's kind of it was it was like as much work to do yeah but you were never going to get as many people so it was kind of that was part of why it's not running now basically um but i have a soft spot for that but yeah so that was another you know another uh branch of the same thing so yeah um, I mean, you had amazing support from publishers as well. I mean, you said I like, know people helping you. I remember like a few times when I kind of I've kind of picked you up and like to pick up books, <laughs> and literally we have had fifteen or no, twenty boxes of books in the back of my car, yeah. and the suspension has sank. Oh, oh God bless you! Amazing, made it back down the uh, down the not on the road really. Yeah, um, I was yeah, driving I mean, very carefully. Uh, yeah, I, was, I mean the publishers are you know those, those, there's so many people who support us uh each year and honestly that, that for programming wise in a way like my first port call is almost to speak to the publishers and say you know well who kind of what's out sort of and i'm sort of quite a long way ahead really sort of um you know sort of work on the next year's events or sort of starts the week after the last one's finished really so i mean that's just to get out there to publishers and starts uh, I mean, there's so many great uh, publicists and uh, marketing people, and um, again, those are that's, that's those are, a lot of those are long-term relationships. A lot of those are you know people that we've we've come to know well and um, who know the event and say do do really put a lot behind it, and uh, really grateful for that. And again, all the authors, I mean, they they put in so much effort and work and sort of commitment to the day and sort of share so much knowledge. So it's you know always incredibly conscious of the sort of team effort. I sort of think my my role in it is kind of in my head is relatively small it's sort of i'm just kind of i suppose on the day i'm just running around like a headless chicken really <laughs> it's kind of, yeah you do anyone, look pretty frazzled anyone who's seen me at edgeley will know my sort of like just you know sort of but about about nine or ten i'm starting to kind yeah. of decompress a bit in the evening sort of but uh <laughs> yeah i um i think i think my problem I, I, my 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 problem as, a, as an event organizer is i carry too much in my head generally it's like kind of I try and put uh, bits on paper that I can, but I could sort of, if you said to me, Alex, what's on at 11 o'clock? I could go, there's this workshop, this workshop, this workshop, that panel, that's happened there. And this whole kind of itinerary is just kind of rattling around in there, sort of down to, 
oh, it's 10.55, we need to go and get some water for the panellists, like uh, that that sort of level of detail. Um, but uh, but I think that's what, to me, that's what makes it work. You know, I, sort of, I think, you know, actually, the, uh, the, the devil's in the detail. I keep mentioning the devil, but the devil's in the detail really kind of, you know, if you're going to give the impression of a slick running ship and again a lot of that is down to the red shirts as well they and i think what's great now is sort of people like pixie and joe and so many of the team have been with me for a lot of events and they just like know how i work now you know i mean pixie will tell a number of times i sort of roll up and say oh, we haven't done this and she goes i did that half an hour ago i'm sort of thank god you know thank god for you you know so just <laughs> just knows exactly what i'm doing and not doing almost and so yeah so whose uh, ideas are is it for pixie's interesting costumes during the raffles because those have yes, been... she had some fabulous christmas outfits yeah absolutely yeah yeah i mean yeah. the raffles are kind of almost kind of edgelit legend in their own rights you know they are yeah. sort of yeah, the best way I can describe it is like a live improv comedy show with some prizes to be won. Basically, it's just kind of as large as Sarah Pimber does it the vast majority of years. Um, she picks some poor, unfortunate um, co-host <laughs> to share the duties with her. Uh, John Conley's done it. Tim Levin did it last time round. As I recall. Joe Bacombi. Joe, yes, absolutely, yes. Joe did one, absolutely, yes, yeah. Um, and it is just kind of you know, it's just absolute madness. There's normally raffle tickets strewn all over the floor. It's just. Um, People love it. People just really, really enjoy it. And it's kind of, you know, people, and it's great prizes. I mean, again, the publishers really yeah. just, I mean, PS Publishing in particular are always so generous with their prizes, as, as is everybody. But um, oh, yeah. well, I've picked up some amazing uh, books from there. I've picked up like a signed copy of 2140 yeah. by the climate author whose name's completely escaped me. Neil. No, it's not Neil Stevenson, is it? Not Neil Stevenson. Oh, Kim Stanley Robinson. Thank you. Yes, Kim yeah. Stanley Robinson. I picked up a signed copy of um, Magician by Remedy Feist. Yeah, yeah. Or Fist, as um, Sarah calls him. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that's the level of humour you yeah, can expect yeah. there. But yeah, it's just creative yeah. anarchy. I mean, some of those prizes you sort of you get in the office and you think like, this is... I try to think what this is worth. You know, <laughs> kind of, I've just, I've just got to tuck it away, ready to just kind of give away to somebody. You know, <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so, yeah, we get incredible stuff every every year, and it's, it's just, it's so humbling, you know, that that people support it so much. You know, I sort of in every sort of I, I mean, I, I do I say doing a weekend last year, I sort of woke up on this Monday, sort of a bit broken, a bit battered, and a bit full. Um, I dread to think how many hours I've worked in three days, but um, just thinking, I can't believe that people, you know, just it meant it just that's the thing that's in my head is like it just means the world that everyone's got behind it, you know. It's kind of um, the first thing is just like about a million thank you emails <laughs> to everyone to say, you know, <laughs> you know, thank you so much for being a part of it and, and supporting it, and um, yeah, yes, I'm, I'm really looking forward to get back to it to be honest with you. It's kind of, it do, I do miss it as much as it is hard work and stressful and sort of physically exhausting i think it's something that i do i look forward to every year you know yeah. sort of we used to do yeah. um there are two things i want to mention you, you mentioned joe abercrombie i've I, my boss got me onto some joe abercrombie uh the sword it's the sword itself i think is, is it called mm. yeah. um that's a, I, i've got it on audiobook at the minute um and it's just like it's just, it's like well it's like twenty four hours long or something ridiculous <laughs> like that twenty hours and five minutes and I think I've I've listened to something of it already but uh, yeah so I've I've got that to go through and I've I've got uh, three of his books I think to get uh, get through um, but but secondly um, we 
we used to do we, we've only done we've org- organized one event ourselves as geek pride uh which was like uh, international tabletop day and we organized a free gaming day in fab cafe in manchester oh, and great, um great. is that again I love Fab Cafe. Great oh, it wasn't Fab. It was TV21. Sorry, I lie. Sorry, tv Twenty Ones. Oh. Yeah, what was tv Twenty Ones? Yeah, so, um, but same sort of vibe, you know, they've got like statues of Alien, the uh, Predator and, you know, some cool stuff. And they, they sort of kind of, we thought, well, we're going to get, you know, 50 people or something like that. And we literally, ha- we literally just packed the place out to the point where people were coming upstairs and they had no room for us and stuff. And yeah. to the point now, and that was stressful enough, trying to organize that small thing in a in, in a in a basement of a of a bar because uh, when loads of people were turning up and stuff that was stressful enough um but one they now have well they did they have um before obviously lockdown and stuff they have a dedicated board game night now oh. because of what we did and two um you know i i love it i thought you know bar the stress you know it was <laughs> i thought it was really good and i'd love to do it again um, the, yeah. the closest we've had to sort of doing anything, um, we used to sort of do uh, Play Expo um, a lot because um, we got on well with the organizers and um, we'd turn up, they'd give us our own little area, we'd bring my gaming table with me, we'd bring sort of TV, bring in some game and stuff, and we'd set out, we'd have tournaments and stuff. And, you know, we weren't organizing the day, but it was stressful enough just having that little sort of niche area trying to get everything especially when people weren't sort of turning up like the worst one i had was i had like uh i had like 10 people who were meant to be helping me out on the day um all of them bar one dropped out and so i had to literally organize everything myself and then some people sort of kind of went okay well i I can jump in for a bit and my girlfriend at the time said you know I'll, i'll help out for a bit and stuff and you know you get through it but you know you, you know bar the stress like you said you you sort of miss it you kind of love it it's really it's a lot yeah, of fun. yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a lovely feeling afterwards it's a lovely feeling to sort of feel like you've sort of done something that's helped people enjoy themselves or find something useful or you know i, I can scroll facebook the day after and it's just full of kind of oh such a such an inspiring weekend it's just a fun weekend it's, it's a really nice feeling sort of post event really um and I sort of always find every single thing I run, there's always like a point in the day where I just kind of briefly sort of sit down and look around and think, oh, that's kind of, that's cool. You know, there's people, that's the thing happening here. You know, it's kind of rather than just kind of <laughs> running around in circles. Uh, most of those, it's just a little moment every now and then where it's kind of, this is cool. You know, this is, this is, this is kind of, it's because it is a year's work coming to yeah. light, really. You know, it's a year's work coming to uh, fruition. So it's kind of, it has no life you know until the day itself it's all on paper and on computer and it's just a long chain of emails until you know the door opens and people start to file in you know so it is um really satisfying to see it come together definitely would you you know obviously i'm assuming you're restricted and because of the venue on the size it could be but if it started outgrowing it um is it something you'd want to keep sort of at a certain level or would you happily sort of want it to sort of you know become bigger um, it's a very question. It's a, I mean, it's a conversation that has come up um, because I think we are last year we probably have been nearing that point, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. maybe. Uh, but um, honestly, it, it's very much kind of up. the good thing for us really in Derby is there's quite a few venues very nearby you could sort of run extra things. So it's a possibility it could be based at quad, and then there could be other activities 
across the marketplace or you know so it's kind of there's 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 possibilities i'd be quite i'd be quite reticent to move because i think you have a venue with a really nice kind of vibe and a really nice atmosphere and um and, and good venues are hard to find so i mean generally so, so actually kind of or the right venue is hard to find maybe is a better way to express that and you're looking for this kind of magic kind of mix of all the different facilities and the different event spaces and um you know what they can offer you time wise and there is this kind of constant sort of um battle for the right kind of venue for something what just feels like it is the the right venue for and i think people really like it people really kind of have an affinity for the quad when they come and sort of see it and um you know it is it is uh, it is a busy old day but it um it feels really vibrant you know when when you're there and when it's on and everyone's kind of rocking around and the bar's busy and yeah so it's i'd be a bit reticent to to move it um well, well i think kind of like edge it does kind of up seamlessly um kind of expand of course city goes people kind of gather in the bar then go to all the other bars afterwards yeah, and then kind of and then come back for like the various talks and events yeah, exactly. and kind of having the kind of the different sized rooms as well you kind of got the smaller meeting rooms where you could do the workshops yeah. or and the like and then you can have like the bigger rooms such as like the cinema rooms for like the the readings and the talks yeah i mean and, that, and that's the mix I mean, that's the, the thing kind of is with the sort of three four rooms you can use for workshops and that's one of the really popular things about the event is actually kind of those workshops are booked up in like minutes i mean yeah. probably within an hour you've virtually every workshop within, to be honest within half an hour i've turned i made the mistake once of turning up um about just after an hour and they're all booked the ones i was after all booked yeah. and I mean, it's a credit to the workshops. I mean, uh, Mark Shadborn's The Business of Writing workshop, I will never forget that one because mm. that, w- that was the workshop that persuaded me to actually become a freelance writer. Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah, yeah. Without that, I would still yeah. be an engineer in Sheffield. Yeah. Mark um, knows so- his stuff. Mark knows his stuff, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was a very powerful talk and just yeah. really kind of laid down the ground rules. And, yeah, I can- they are really good. So you've got basically authors at the top of their games mm. giving some fantastic... Uh, secrets yeah absolutely yeah absolutely yeah and the people i say they are and it's not something you get at every event you know there's a lot yeah. of, i think most though you do get the summer i think they are growing at events or in conventions i would say that but i think there's a lot of events that do lean more on that kind of panel reading sort of q a thing and i just thought for me like workshops we've got these little spaces and it's kind of not little but you know they're smaller than you wouldn't put a big panel in there for example but you know if you've got sort of room for 15 20 you can that's ideal for a workshop sort of size um so yeah, it's one of the things that just kept expanding i think so we went from like two threads to three threads because it was just kind of it was just so many people want to attend them um and we do just have to say to people in all our communications and all our messages and all the, the schedule and everything say like if you want to be in the workshops please turn up early because we you know that we book on the day i think the trouble is it's one of those things if you said to people you could book them ahead of time well, the first 20 people to book the event would just take them. I freely admit, I think I've tried once or twice to ask you very politely if you would add me to an event beforehand. You go, no, we yeah, can't yeah. do that. It's one of those things you'll never, there's no perfect solution. No, you know, so there isn't. Sure. Short of being able to run a three a workshop with two hundred people, which is totally impractical, of course. Yeah. Um, which you really, yeah, you really couldn't do. So, um, yeah. So yeah. That, so yeah, that's that, those are really popular. And I so say it's just that it's got a nice mix of the right sort of size spaces and the right size rooms uh, for for everything that we need. So I'd be quite yeah. I wouldn't 
Yes, yeah, so if it if it was going to expand, it would be quad plus something else. It yeah. would not be we're moving to some other venue. Yeah, because um, also you've got the bar there as well, and yeah. so basically you've got the chance to have a beer with one of your favourite authors. Who doesn't want that chance? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that that bar is just packed with with authors and publishers and agents all day. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it's lovely just to see. And and as you say, it's such a great. So, and I think that's probably. I mean, you, you were asking about virtual conventions earlier. It's great. I'll, I would be up for doing something, but so many people. And I, I say this as the person who puts all the panels together and everything. Probably so many people get as much out of the bit in the bar and the conversation, yeah. talking and getting to know people. And uh, like I say, that chance to really freely mingle with, with authors that they they know and, and respect. And, you know, uh, that they probably get as much out of that as anything. And I kind of, I'm no... One of no illusions <laughs> to, to, to that. Fact. I am a big fan of the the boozing at conventions sort of thing. So when I go to conventions, it's it's generally to get super smashed. <laughs> well, no, it was something that actually Mark Shad once said recently, which like half of business is always done at the bar. Yeah, he's not wrong. He's not wrong, and he's absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, is it's um, it's that social thing that people come for to no small extent. You know, those conventions are sort of networking you know every year you know people are yeah. going to you know maybe six eight ten some people are maybe go to more conventions yeah. per year and that's their sort of they, they're socializing with their people in a way you know they're sort of that's their chance to mix with like-minded people and again a lot of writers you know they're not full-time writers they have a day job and they're sort of still doing something else and kind of this is their chance to go and spend time with people with the same interests and the same energy and the same enthusiasm for something so i think that's um, and again, I say, I think for, for everyone, um, it's just that there's kind of no, what's we're looking for? It just everyone mixes. And it's just kind of, I, I see all sorts, all sorts of people all just sitting together talking and um, writers talking with their readers and you know, bloggers. It's just brilliant. It's just so lovely to see that sort of side of it, definitely. Um, I wish you could sit in there a bit more, really, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't running it. But um, yeah, this is. Uh, yeah, there's other conventions for that, of course. What What are your other sort of conventions of preference? What preference do you have for other types of pre- uh, conventions? I mean, I, the thing for me, I, I've always really liked the ones that are more sort of book focused. So, Fantasy Con is one of the main ones I've I've not been for a few years now, just financial reasons. But um, I've been to that a whole number of times and um, ran that, well, chaired that back in 2016. Um, you did it so- twice, didn't you? Just once, just once. Oh, we just gonna, once, sorry. We were going to do it a second time, but we, we, we um, I think we all sort of did it once and we were just a bit... <laughs> Burned out. Oh, that was a big job. Um, <laughs> now, a few people's circumstances changed and, yeah, so we were right. really in a position to, to do it the second time. Um, but, yeah, we, you know, we, that, that to me is like very much... It's probably one... I mean, I think the thing I find sometimes is kind of that the bigger it gets, the less I like it, if you see what I mean. So kind of things like a World Con or even an Easter Con, which is kind of about a 1,000 people... I find that's a bit kind of for me personally. And again, a lot of people love it, and I'm not to, to uh, diminish it at all for me. I find that's really kind of cavernous and kind of there's loads of different stuff going on. I just feel a bit sort of, um, I just a bit lost sometimes. And I think sort of, yeah. something like a sort of fantasy con or uh, Bristol cons, and I sort of been a couple of times, you know, and they're kind of a bit smaller. They're kind of like sort of 500, 600 like Bristol cons, about edgelet size. Fancy cons usually about sort of 500, 600. Um, you know, yeah, they're nice kind of, you know, you sort of, there's enough people you know, there's enough different stuff going on, there's enough places to go and kind of mingle. And I think, so I say, I think, I know World comes in, um, I think it was Helsinki last time around. Was there a Belfast one? I'm not sure. Anyway, there was a very recent one in Helsinki. There's like 10,000 people. I just think, oh. like, 
wow, well, you know, it blows my mind. To, I mean, absolutely, I, I tip my hat sort of as far as I can to whoever puts that together because I know how hard it is to do 300, 400, 500, you know, <laughs> just to go that big just frightens the life out of me, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like Fantasy Road at Bristol Con. Uh, it's another one that I like as well. Uh, Novacon I've been a couple of times over in... Nottingham, that's quite a nice kind of. Um, I keep meaning but, to go to that one. Actually. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Yeah, it's very kind of good, good little science fiction convention. They were due to have their fiftieth uh, last year, and obviously with circumstances being what they were, they've had to uh, had to move where they had. They have Mike Carey. Yeah. Uh, oh, if it had a Newman, it was a really good lineup. It was really, yeah, it was really fun. I was like, oh, that looks really good, but. Uh, yeah, obviously, you know, obviously the whole convention calendar was was practically sort of knocked for six. Absolutely, yeah, it was, yeah. yeah pretty much, every, well, everything was cancelled. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think kind of. I mean, it's, again, it was kind of as an organizer, kind of. Well, what I said initially was, well, move from July to November. There was kind of this plan to do it in November, and obviously, by by the midsummer, is kind of thinking, well, we're not going to do it. Can't do it in November either. It's just not going to. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. We never kind of. That was not a public announcement. It's not a secret, but it, yeah, it was just something we were sort of had a backup plan. We'll do it in November when everything's blown over and kind of end up with that in our face, you know, <laughs> in thinking that. Um, but you know, but there'll, there'll be a lot of convention organisers in that boat thinking like, well, we were going to run here, and then we'd like to try and run here, and maybe we couldn't do it there. Maybe we'll do it. And kind of, I think what you'll probably find is there's going to be a real kind of diary clash, like when you can yeah. suddenly do stuff again. I think it's going to be a like a lot of conventions wanting to run in a very short space of time and i think it's going to be i'm going to be looking very carefully if i can't do edge in july this year which i normally would i'm going to be looking thinking well i want to be sure i know what everyone else is doing before i put it somewhere and end up clashing with some other mega big event somewhere i think it's going to be a real sort of i think there'll be a lot of demand as well i think kind of there yeah. will be there'll be a lot of supply but i think a lot of people will be itching to kind of i've missed this thing you know i've missed doing the convention I just, I just hope it's all sorted for uh, UK Games Expo. <laughs> that's like, you know, out of all the conventions I go to, um, that's the one. It's like a, I, I, I really have to be careful when I go to that convention because I, I go and I spend way, way too much money. It's like other conventions, I buy random stuff and it, it's all right. I spend most of my money on booze and things. And I've been to San Diego Comic-Con and stuff. And, um, you know, it was just more for the experience. But UK Games Expo is, you know... Stuff. Yeah, it's just so much stuff. Like, I, I like, you know, I like walking around conventions and, you know, just you know people watching and seeing you know generally the stalls and stuff are the same and you know yeah. we've gone to one convention you've gone to them all they're, they're, they're pretty similar so i wander around once or twice and it's fine and then i spend most of my time either outside or in one of the bars or something like that but at uk games expo because it's everything that i love in the world i'm just like literally walking around it all the time just sort of kind of going oh i want that and i want that and i want that and it was the last time i was there with pete I, I came on the second day with a suitcase because I bought so much stuff in the first day that I was like, I can't carry this back with me. So I had to come in and bring a suitcase with me so I could have it in in the thing. But yeah, just brilliant. We talked to Ian Livingston, which was... Yeah, he, he's a, he's yeah, a yeah, fantastic yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love the old fighting fantasy, honestly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you get me... Livingston, aren't you? I've just realised. <laughs> like, the one thing I wanted to ask was like... um. I'll be going to see Edgelit this year. Um, honestly, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, so okay. I'm on furlough for now. Um, yeah. 
it all depends on when I get back. I mean, honestly, it's kind of the, the trouble is almost not even like. I mean, if we're open in July, then you know, then it's a possibility. But the problem is, kind of, it's the, it's the time it takes to put together. Yeah, I was thinking that. Well, you're, you're back off furlough, kind of end of April. It's kind of well, I can't really put together something the size of Edgeley in two months and not yeah. organize it, plan it, panel it, program it, market it. You know, it's just kind of, it, I say, especially a year's work every time. So will a lot will depend on when we're kind of in a position to to reopen Quad, you know. Uh, and I think, again, those are just like absolutely unknowns. I'm sort of really trying these days just to kind of roll, go with the flow and just think, you know, I'm back when I'm back and I'll sort of, you know, one probably one of the yeah. first meetings will be, like, where are we? And if we're not doing it in July, it's another time of year we want to do it, that is kind of a good idea to do it. Um, or do we just, you know, would we potentially write off 2021 and do it now? I really don't know. Those, those are just kind of, um, yeah, discussions to have, you know, when I'm back, got my feet back on the desk, which is again, I have no idea when that's when that's going to be. I honestly said to someone the other day, like, thank, thank God for furlough, you know, absolutely, yeah. you know, so hard. Um, without it, I've still been doing my other stuff and my other work, and um, you know, because because I work part time, so I'm you know, uh, still do other activities. And but yeah, I mean, furlough's been a real godsend for, for myself and probably a lot of other people as well, but it does leave you sort of in this kind of you're just waiting for a call, you know, yeah, like, you're in limbo, aren't you? That's the nature of it. Yeah, that's, that's the nature of it. Yeah, yeah. But you are, you've got a bit more security, which is you know, the biggest difference. Uh, MCM are, are saying that they're 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 basically writing off all of their summer conventions and um, they're only focusing on their winter ones. So it's like October and November, and it's, so it's basically London and Birmingham. I think are the that's only it, yeah. the only two yeah. that they're going to run this year. Because yeah. um, they're like you know, like you said, it takes a long time to organise things, and you yeah, you aren't exactly. sure if things are going to pan out. So, yeah, I mean, you you couldn't do it at a month's notice. And again, and the other thing is, of course, kind of like you can even if you can reopen, is it you reopening at full capacity? You're going to have to run a convention with like reduced numbers. You know, you're going to still be social distancing. There's all these things you just can't at this point. You just can't possibly know. So you are really yeah. sort of um, yeah, flying in the dark in terms of figure out what to do um yeah certainly yeah i'd love to do something in 2021 but it oh, yeah just it's circumstances allowing really yeah mm. yeah that's mm. yeah, a shit time all around i just hope it sorts <laughs> hopefully it sorts itself out sooner rather than later yeah, um yeah i'm trying to buy a house at the minute so um i'm kind of i want the um the sort of the, the help to buy well not the help to buy the um What's it, what's it called? The stamp duty. Currently, yeah. there's a stamp duty stamp duty exempt um, exemption until no. March, but I, I might miss that just depending mm-hmm. on how long it takes to, to get my house sorted. So I'm kind of hoping they expand extend that because that's a couple. Of, that's going to be a fair few grand I might save, but we'll have to <laughs> we'll have to see. And I'm just I'm just itching for my own man cave at the minute. I'm being sort of you know there's only so much of my front room I can deal with. I need my own space with my miniatures and well, the, the, the key is to make your is make your front room your space, <laughs> which is what which is what I've done to be fair. But see, I can't because obviously I feel bad in Gosha and stuff because when I do stuff like this, she's she's basically is is banished, you know, upstairs, oh. so she can't watch TV or anything. She can't do very much, and um, you know, I want to have a space where I can kind of go off and do my thing, like my old house where I had my sort of my man cave. But now I just want sort of 
this sort of got a place, you know, and then she can carry on doing what she wants to do. But, you know, it's, I'm just getting itchy. I've got so many, like, you, you don't see it here, but I've got boxes over here. I've got boxes over there. I've got sort of, um, like a storage unit, a full storage unit, which I pay a small fortune for, um, you know, and I just want it all out. Like, I've got loads of books. And books are super heavy, by the way. You're talking about books. They're so heavy. Oh. <laughs> it's like, I have got, I've got oh, boxes that are collapsing on themselves because their books are so heavy. so heavy. I just don't get it. Yeah, it's true. All I'll say is, I need, I've knackered the suspension of my car at least once carrying those books, Alex. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's, it's, it's like, it's like the, you, you can see kind of in the background on Pete's shelf, there's probably a bit of a bow in, in the woods in, on his his shelf for his books and stuff because you know you can you can actually see there's a bow in the yeah, shelf in the yeah, yeah, I can. yeah 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 it's the same with my you know my bookshelves there's just because i i'm the guy who buys the hardbacks i don't buy so i don't buy so I, it's, it's hardbacks and uh they just stay way so much and oh, i was yeah. like i got to the point when i was moving out of my old place and i was like right i need to stick these in the boxes and i made my first mistake of going paper <laughs> is light stuck it all in the big box and went oh my god it's so heavy and like ripped the box and nearly threw my back out and it's like right so i had to sort of kind of pack them halfway and then i realized that i couldn't stack stuff on top of them because anything heavy would just go like this so i was just like wow uh i remember when i first moved um from my little flat in sheffield to move in with Kalia. and i thought oh well i've got a load of books got a big box i'll put all the books in the box so I put them all in. There, it's all done. That's neatly packed away. Come moving day, none of us could lift the box. <laughs> Do you know what I've, like, I, I've done is I now have, uh, you can get them from B&Q. They're like big black sort of plastic um, boxes with wheels on the bottom of oh, them. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're are, are, are a godsend. Or if you're really pushed, um, heavy-duty um, suitcases, and you just fill them with books, and then you can kind of yep. sort of, you know, roll, wheel, wheel them out. So it's slightly easier than. But the thing is, I've got so many books that, um, you know, I've had to put them in the cardboard boxes, and I've had to half fill them. So like every now and again, I'll just hear this, and then something will start falling. I'm like, shit, the box has collapsed, and I have to sort of kind of <laughs> move. Oh, as Pete was saying with those boxes of books for for an event, kind of you sort of you get all this stuff for goodie bags, basically. Kind of so you give everyone a, everyone a goodie bag at the start of the day, and there's kind of numerous kind of free books and your program book and so on and so forth. But you get those books kind of gathered together, and they're kind of dotted all over the building and on the kind of under my desk and all sorts of places. You get them all together, and you think there's about fifty boxes here. It's like oh, it's kind of just like a huge ridiculous number of books, and so they all be donated, which is the which is the the, the wild thing, but. Uh, yeah, it's really there's something to behold. It's, it's so many, it's probably 600, 700, 800 books here, you know, really. Yeah. Give out. Yeah, I remember one time I said, oh, just pick up some books. Like, you know, instead of petrol, money, like, pick up some books. Okay. <laughs> yeah, just take your picks. And that's one thing, it's like, you know, gaming, like with, sorry, with books, um, it's not turn. It's not like gaming where you know you've got the digital copy and you're happy enough with it and stuff. With a book, yeah. you need the physical copy. You need oh, to have that. You know, as much as I've got a lot of audiobooks, every pretty much nearly every audiobook I've got, I've got the I've got the hardback for as well. Um, for my Dungeons and Dragons stuff, all the Roll Twenty stuff I've got, all the books I bought 
on there. I bought a game for the he- the hard copies and stuff, just because I need the tangible thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just like. Yeah. Although, we'll say one thing: I am generally coming around more to eBooks. I mean, especially since I'm doing a fair bit of reviews at the moment, I'm, I'm just reviewing quite a bit of Dana Fredstie's um, novels, and rather than send me a load of books, I'm, I'm I do love having like a, a physical book in my hand. But just she's based in America, pinged me an email. There's the eBooks for you, sorted. Mm-hmm. The convenience of ebooks has a lot to, um, yeah, is yeah. It's been a real industry changer as well. It's been a big, yeah, you know, absolutely kind of in, in publishing terms, and particularly I think say for independent publishing, self-publishing, it's been, you know, the vast majority of those are ebook sales. You know, there's a lot less sold physically than than um, ebooks on the whole. So yeah, it's really shaken up the game, and I think you know. Um, there's a, there's a lot to be said for them. I'm, I'm not a fan personally. As I, 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 I may have read, I could probably count the ebooks I've read on one hand. Yeah, like, genuinely, uh, which have been thing, things, as you say, that people have sent me to have a look at. Would you, you know, would you mind doing a quote or something? Uh, but yes, yeah, so like everything that I have is is physical books, really. Um, but you do come to that point where you say you have those storage problems. You think, where am I going to put the rest of these books? Well, and, and also, yeah, the thing for me as well is you can't sign an ebook. No. That's the thing, and I mean, I am one of the people that, like, if I like 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 a book and I like an author, I want them to sign that book for me if I get the chance. Now I can't get that chance with um, an ebook, unfortunately. You can sign a Kindle. I've seen people do it. Yeah, but, <laughs> you just have to have that one book on there forever. A Kindle lasts five years, ten at a push. Yeah, a true. book lasts forever. Class is very true. Subject true. to not dropping it in the bathroom like it once yeah, did. True. Yeah, yeah. But the same would go for a Kindle, of course. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be good. Yeah, no, I've seen people do it. Yeah, it's, it's just, um, you know, it, yeah, uh, but they are, I do, I'm a big fan of the physical and I sort of yeah. like, do like a nice limited edition and something, you know, a uh, good item to hold, you know, as, as well. So, have you seen the Robin Hobbs limited edition Farsia books? Oh. They're illustrated and Incredible. just, they're works of art. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And it's just like, I've got the books, I've got every Robin Hobb, Errol Eldon's book, all 20 of them. Mm-hmm. And I love them. But even here, thinking, well, they look good. Yes, I've already got it. I've read it 10 times. But that <laughs> yeah. book looks really good. Why, yeah, absolutely. The, be- yeah. the best looking sort of, but one of the best looking books um, that I have in my possession uh, is a second edition Lord of the Rings. Um, and it's 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 sort of like my 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 dad had he bought a second copy because the first copy he had um us as kids would just see this and go oh brilliant and we'd read it and you know it and basically we destroyed the 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 cover for it even though it was a very it was quite an expensive book but um he bought a new copy of it he obviously got it from ebay and stuff and i've got it like pristine and it's made from that sort of paper you get sort of like it's like tissue paper and like it's got the fold-out maps that are really fine and everything and it's just it's such a beautiful book and it's just like I, I won't open it now. So it's just like it's just there, and it's just like yeah, you know, it's not, there, it's not there for reading. It's yeah, it's just, <laughs> but I I do that. So I like so the the um what's it, the uh Horace Heresy stuff, right? So they've got the nicely leather bound sort of you know limited edition books. I've got those, and I buy the hardback one so I can read it. So I've yeah. got the sort of the one that I can keep nice and pristine, and then the one that I don't mind, I can open it and read it. Yeah, and yeah. It, and and it's sort of kind of it can be used and stuff. 
Uh, so yeah, um, I, I, I'm one of those guys. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that too nice, but I'm risk ruining. You've got one key keeper when you can lend out to your friends. Yeah, that's, that's... the number of times I've lost so many books. <laughs> Two people kind of like, I, oh, read this book, you love it. Don't get it back. I've lo- I've lost the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy at least twice from people just wandering off and never giving me the book back. I've lost Richard Morgan books, and I keep thinking. Yeah, I know I've read the stories five times, but there's a gap in the collection. I, <laughs> I gave my sister, like, I lent my sister a copy of, uh, like, some of my favourite books by a historian called Tom Holland called the Sha- In the Shadow of the Sword, and it was a hard copy version of it, and uh, I gave it to my sister to read, and she's fucking lost it. <laughs> it really annoys me, because I'm just like, oh, no, and I've had, the, I've had the sort of, there's no hardbacks around, so I've had to get a sort of soft copy of it, softback, and uh, a paperback even, and uh, in the me because it's just like i love that book and <laughs> she says are you sure you gave it to me i was like yes you, you borrowed it you booked <laughs> so i'm really reticent to the point that my neighbor wanted to borrow my dungeons and dragons books and i and he wanted a specific one i only had the, like the limited edition sort of like you know expensive one so i initially gave it to him and went no i i, I can't do that so i was just like you know what it's christmas so i bought him the sort of kind of the other version of it. So there you go. And I can I have that one back, please? So you can yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I couldn't do it. I was just like, oh, no. And You're giving him the gift of giving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> giving me back my book. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. It's just, uh, it's just one of those compulsions I have. I just need to have that sort of kind of nice sort of, you know, pristine version of it. Do you know, it's, it's to the point, this is how bad it is. I have got... Um, a well, I I sort of kind of went in so I with 40k I started uh first you know rogue trader and second edition uh so I I left in and around sort of so third fourth and then I came back you know third and fourth I missed and then I came back to the very tail end of fifth as uh, just before it was ticking over to sixth and um was sixth came in they 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 started this thing of having a limited edition sort of like you know, rule book with like tokens and sort of all these these cool things. I think I got you got a mug and a bag and I like this awesome sort of like binder thing for it and stuff. And I got that and I went, that's awesome. And then they did it with seventh edition where they brought out like this awesome limited edition box. I was like, oh crap, I'm gonna have to get that too. And now I have the limited edition versions of sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth. And the Armageddon, the Armageddon versions of uh, sixth and seventh, I think, and uh, um, and and I have the box sets in one. I've got a copy which is unopened, and then I've got a copy that I obviously opened and used the figures of and stuff, just so I could have the thing that was nice and pristine, and then the one that I could use. And I'm just like, Matt, you have a problem. Yeah, I totally do. But it's just like, and I, I have, and it's annoying me because. On eighth edition, um, I had I brought the box. I I didn't get the um, uh, I bought the new box set. Well, the eighth edition box set, and I used it. And I got the miniatures out, and I gave my mate the the plague marines and stuff, and I kept the primary stuff. And then um, I went. Ah, oh, it's all right. I'll wait until just before sort of ninth drops, and I'll buy a good copy of it then. And then I couldn't get a good copy of the eighth edition box. I was like, oh no. 
my my run my limited edition run is ending and i was just sitting there i bought my brother a copy of it which he hadn't opened and i was like i wonder if i can get it back off him instead of he hasn't opened it yet but i went and i've, I've got a german copy of it now so i've got like it's the same thing it's just an international version of it and i was like okay that's making my ocd not sort of spark too much i think i'm okay with that and stuff so. once you buy one limited edition you want the others to match that's the problem yeah that's, that's it yeah yeah, it's totally it. yeah yeah it's like i've got um you know what started me initially is i had like my i had a huge star wars collection as a child anything christmas's birthdays anything star wars i had it all and my mother um one day decided to get you know have a clean out of my cupboard when i was away and she got rid of all my old school star wars stuff you know and some of that's worth a lot of money these days and stuff and i i know it's like from now on everything's gonna stay in the box and it's gonna so, so my mother can't throw it away and i i kind of got into lord well lord of the rings has always been a massive thing in my family and so when the film came out and i think oh my god they're selling toys for this so i started collecting the toys and i was like there's so many of them and i got to the point now where i have i can fill easily three ikea bookcases um and these are like easily sort of like three foot by nine foot sort of bookcases full of these boxed lord of the rings figures within their color ranges you know so one for the green is for uh the fellowship the ring uh the red ones are the um to two towers and the blue ones are the um return of the king and i've got so many of them and it's at the point where i have an ebay thing where it sort of sparks up on my phone if anything new that i've missed comes out so i'm like yeah i need that i need that i need that <laughs> <laughs> just... keeping them boxed as a thing so those star wars figures boxed through the roof now aren't they absolutely yeah. I, I was back in uh i i managed to get back to belfast over christmas which was lucky um and my, my brother took me to this sort of kind of sort of back end sort of it's called smithfield market in, in belfast um it's across the road from where I used to sort of kind of do, like, you know, before we had a games workshop, there was like a model shop we used to go into there. Um, but there's like, it's in the middle, it's in the back end somewhere. And it's like, it's it's called um, My Old Toy Box or something like that. And it's basically got um, like all like the old sort of Airfix kits. And it's got all the sort of kind of old school sort of like model shop stuff you would get. But it also has old school Star Wars stuff. So I saw three boxed millennium falcons there like you know the boxes weren't perfect but you know they were old school this is like you know one was there was a return of the jedi one and there was a, an original star wars ones going for like 300 quid 250 300 yeah. quid and stuff yeah. and i was just like oh man. and an adat there was an adat as well and i was like oh my oh, god nice. i was like yeah. if, I, if i could get that away if i could sort of get that back i would you know yeah i'm, I'm tempted to email the guy who just came yeah. to me yeah yeah, yeah. But... I, had, I, had, I had a load and i when i was about 17 i think i sold most of them i was, got, I was really after i think it was a playstation maybe playstation 2 for whatever yeah. the console of the moment was and i was like the terms against things it's like you know what star wars figures have to go i kept a handful but i kind of i, I sold one that i know is worth now about 100 quid like even unboxed which i was just like, oh, i can't believe i did that you know what an idiot um and that sort of thing you never Probably know. Off completely because I sold it to really in the market. But, <laughs> well, you never yeah. know what's going to be sort of like sellable. It's like magic. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this thing was like it's just literally one of the um, I couldn't even tell his name. It's one of the guys from Jabba's Palace in Return of the Jedi. It's just like 
like a background character. It's not like they're the ones that are the most expensive. Yeah, exactly. It's always the nameless character. Oh, this guy won't be worth much. He's you know he's barely in it. Yeah, (laughs) that's why he's worth more. Yeah, it's like it's that it's that the most expensive uh, Star Wars figure you can buy is the prototype Boba Fett um, with the little rocket that shoots out, which they stopped because obviously it's a choking hazard. Um, but yeah, it's, it's worth like hundreds of thousands of pounds, you know, um, madness. Like I was watching a, no, I wasn't watching. I was reading an article about magic of the gathering. Um, no, I lie. It wasn't, it was, it was like one of these sort of antiques roadshow things. And this woman had walked uh, in with, um, uh, like a folder of magic, the gathering cards. Uh, and she's like, yeah, these are my husband's, um, you know, I don't think there's much in them, you know, but, you know, he, he told me to bring them. And he had, and I can't remember because I'm not a Magic fan, um, but he had, I don't know what they call them, like the the nine or something. So it's basically like nine specific cards um, that are, <laughs> it's like, you were like 60 grand or, or something ridiculous just for these cards. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God, that's insane. And one of the guys in my WhatsApp group went, I used to have six of those nine cards. And I was like, dude, wow. And I said, what did you do? And I said, yeah, I sold them for, you know, I can't remember what he, he bought with it and stuff. It, probably a PlayStation or something as well. But he sort of, <laughs> and he was just like, yeah, I didn't, at the time I didn't realize, you know, I got a fair, you know, an all right amount of money for them, but not as much as I probably would have got now. I mean, yeah. he was just like, oh man, absolutely sick. Wow. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. But the thing is, that's that's sort of what goes in the back of my mind. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, some of this stuff I collect is probably worthless. You know, it's not going to be more than what it's, you know, I bought it for. If, you know, it'd be less. But there's going to be the odd thing that I have, you know, yeah. that's going to be worth something. Not that I would ever sell it. I, you know, mm. I'd never sell it. But it's just the idea that you got something that's worth something. You know, it's cool. Like, I've got... um I've got two dioramas. Um, I've got one of the Hoth Sing, um, you know, and it's in a, it's in like a, a Perspex box, and it, it's it's beautiful, and it's signed by Brian Johnson, um, the guy who did the special effects for um, the special effects for um, Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> no, that's not Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson is Brian Brian Johnson. That sort of this makes it slightly funnier when I talk about it because at the time uh, uh, I was sort of I got it and I was so like oh this is the best thing I've ever seen and this guy turned around to me do you want me to sign it for you now and I just not not thinking just went why did you make it and he went no I did all the special effects for <laughs> for Empire Strikes Back and I was like oh yes <laughs> and there's a, there's a photograph of me standing there kind of going oh. but I've got that and I've got um, a diorama of. Um, Yoda, lift, yeah, Dagobah, Yoda lifting um, the X-Wing out of um, out of the sort of swamp. And it's just like, they're like, they're, they are my pride and joy, those two things. They literally, I love them so much. And it's, you know, it, it's just that, that thing of something, you know, they, they, I don't think they would ever devalue because they, they are, they're, they're, they're one of a kind, you know, you can't buy them anywhere and stuff. One signed and the other one's just fucking amazing. And, um, you know, it's just the idea of them being this, these amazing things that I, you know, I have, it's just like, oh, just, it just upsets me when I can't display them. That's what annoys me. Cause currently that one's down there and it's not in display or anything. People can't see it. I just want, I just want somewhere I can display the things, you know, yeah. It's such a collector's. I mean, like, like it always amazes me. Like science fiction and fantasy and like, all the horror as well. It's also full of collectibles, and I kind of, 
I can't think of I mean, the only other walk of life I can think of where the sim is like sports. Yeah. yeah. You go out your way to get like a sports autograph or a sports collector, but it's like no one sort of goes, oh, I really wanted this like Coronation Street like figure, but I couldn't. Do you know what I mean? It's like no, there's no other neck of the woods that I could think of where people are that into collecting and sort of royal family people feels. royal family memorabilia is quite a thing oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's true, true. True. yeah yeah yeah, that, yeah. yeah. there's very few precious few where people are sort of that yeah. that way minded i don't know what it is about us uh lovers of, <laughs> of sf and fantasy and uh genre that kind of you know just that, that speaks to somehow i don't know it's just i don't know it's just something you're like super you know, um, you know, for me, I, you know, there's obviously underlying things, but for me, it's like, you know, growing up, it was like, you know, and I, and I came from, you know, well-off family. Um, and you know, I, you know, I was, I had a lot of cool stuff that a lot of other people didn't, but there's always those things that, that you didn't have. And you're just like, I, when I grow up, I'm going to have that thing. I'm going to, you know, it's, I'm never not going to have that thing that I want and stuff. Yeah. And I think also like uh, for, for a lot of us, especially people our age, where like you know, we grew up in like the 70s and 80s, when there wasn't that much science fiction and fantasy, especially on television, we had three, possibly four channels to choose from. And science fiction was usually reruns of Star Trek the Next Generation or Book Rogers or something like that. We do not have like you know, the mass of science fiction and superheroes and fantasy. I mean, we've got like the Lord of the Rings on TV being developed, a spin-off of Lord of the Rings. And that's not something you had 20 years ago. You could not have imagined that. It's to people some told me, yeah, Pete, you know, like, you know, in 30 years' time, you'd be sitting back watching The Witcher and a lot of things on TV. You're going, yeah, right, of course, <laughs> no. That book's been done, like, you know, ages. No one's going to do a spin-off series about it. Yes, they are. They are, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting how sort of it I feel, really feels like kind of how much... It's sort of almost like it's practically mainstream more. It's kind of like how much like science fiction, fantasy, superheroes, as you say, have kind of taken over so much of culture. It's really been like a fascinating thing to watch. Yeah. Over the last 10 to 15 years. It's kind of like, whereas you say, kind of growing up, it was like you would sort of, you'd maybe have a few friends you would talk to about your science fiction, fantasy, but a lot of people would be like, what are you talking about? And now kind of, you could have a conversation with with anyone about like something like you've probably seen game of thrones or lord of the rings or the mandalorian or something there'll be something you've seen that i can talk to you about sf and fencing that was never the case it's definitely like, becoming more mainstream into the 90s yeah yeah it's definitely becoming more mainstream um you you, you know you back in the day you know and one of the reasons i, I started geek pride was there was like the shame of being who you are if you're a nerd there was like i remember very specifically and i, I it was to the point where i and you know i remember this very vividly um i you know even with the days when i wasn't it you know i sort of stepped away from my games workshop stuff um i still had that sort of urge because i still wanted to paint models and make models and stuff i just didn't want to be seen because i want you know you know the you know girls wouldn't have you know sexual relations with me if i was seen and sort of these sort of things so i go in and i even got to the point where the guy i bought the thing and the guy went do you want just a normal bag so you don't have to show off that you know the this you know that you bought these things and i remember at the time and this is this was the day before i started geek pride i was in the manchester games workshop and i was just like 
you know what, nah, man, just give me, give me, the, give me the Games Workshop bag. And I, I took the Games Workshop bag and I just walked out with it and I went, yeah, I'm happy with this. And that would, that's where it all, all sparked with me. It's just like, you know, I'm not going to be ashamed of this shit anymore. And now it's, it's, it's okay to be it. You know, being a nerd, it's, there is still a bit of a stigma for some people, but it's definitely a lot more mainstream, especially all the, the, you know, the TV and the internet and stuff. There's so much around that it, it's not as shocking to some people anymore. You know, people see this all the time and they feel like they can engage with you with it. You know, yeah. you, you could talk to, like you said, you could talk to somebody about something nerdy at some point, be it Game of Thrones, be it Lord of the Rings, be it, you know, Witcher, whatever it's on TV yeah. and people can go, all right. Yeah. Yeah. So. And that, yeah. 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 Well, they've seen it. They know of it. They say it's not like kind of, you would have, as you say, in the 80s and 90s, you'd have talked about what the, the, the SF fantasy TV or books and people would not know what they were. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. These things are so spoken of and reviewed and blogged about, and, you know, that sort of thing, aren't they? Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. Yeah. And, um, I sort of, I, I kind of, one thing, one thing I find is kind of like, I, li- I really like the word geek, but I kind of like think in a way to me it's like everyone is a geek for something. I've always I mean. said that. I've always like, said my, that. My wife is like massive into black and white films, and it's like she can reel you off who's in what, and oh, she's watching talking pictures TV, and it's like, oh, this is a brilliant film, like 1934, this director, whoever, and it's like you're like a you're like a black and white film geek. It's like you know, it's just everyone is like. You know, well, it's something uh, that Neil Stevenson once said. Like he gave that talk, but we're all geeks now. And it's true that yeah. we're all kind of passionate about a certain subject, whether it's yeah. like sports team, we like there's the sports fans out there that can rattle off all like you know, the um the the um goals and the um yeah. the results lineups. of their favourite team, yeah. the lineups and like oh they're playing the B team, they get the C team, oh but they brought in this guy and it's like yeah. okay, you're yeah. a geek. Yeah, I, I've said the same. Like I, I, all the guys in my work, you know, the last few places I've worked, that massive, all always have fantasy football leagues. Always sort of like you know talking for you know hours on end about these things, and I was, and I just sit there and call them nerds. I was like, you're a bunch of nerds, and it's just like, well, no, we're not. It's like you, man, you just sat there and you just sprouted it off. You know who won the FA Cup in 1967? You know, and and the, the lineup, and you know who did this, that, and the other, and and things. You are. That's you know you, you are. You might want, yeah. want not want to accept it, but you are just like me. You're just into a different a different thing. You're you doing know? a fantasy virtual battle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you are a nerd. You're uh, a geek, and that is a good thing. I remember turn- eleven skirmish. Yeah, well, so I remember <laughs> turning around to um, uh, my like this my last job, and um, they had a fantasy football team and stuff. They're banging off, and uh, I was like, uh, I was wondering if I could leave, you know, half an hour early. I'm gonna put. I'm I'm playing some fantasy football later, and and they sort of kind of gave me this look, and I was like, you're what? You know, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm playing fantasy football later, and they're all like. No, you're not. It's like I 100% am playing fantasy football later, and then I chance I, I say, right? and I was like, yeah, it, you know, it's orcs and humans and things like that. It's still fantasy football, though. You know, I'm still, I'm still making sort of, uh, I'm still, you know, making a team and sort of rosters and buying and selling, selling players and stuff like that. You know, same thing. And they went, oh, it's not the same. And I was like, it is. It's exactly the same. It's just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah that's it everybody is a geek about something you know uh and that's something i've said for years you know yeah. got, there's niches and you know all geeks are are passionate about something really yeah. i mean my wife's um for years said she wasn't a geek i mean she likes science fiction and like she she loves she prefers um St- star trek over star wars 
don't hold it against her. And um, but like she says, oh yeah, but I'm not really into that. I like like working outside and getting stuff done. And then she can rattle out like, oh, that's a like a Massey Ferguson F11 tractor. You're a tractor nerd. You're a nerd. You're a geek. <laughs> it might not be about fantasy and science fiction, but you are a geek. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and just... she's she's accepted it. Yeah. You know, we were talking about Star Wars and um and Star Trek there, and yeah. it, you know it's it's no doubt being a debate that uh, or something that's been mentioned numerous times before, but it sort of just dawned on me um that they're the same universe, aren't they? Star Wars and and Star Trek are the same universe. No. Yes. Because, no, because um, Star Trek is in humanity's future. Star Wars was a long time ago in the galaxy. Far yeah, I know, way. but it's it's still the same as in as in they're still in the same universe. So they might be time apart. They are right. still in the same universe, and that's the sort of to me. I was like, that's right, because that one was in the past. This one's in the future, <laughs> and it's like so. In theory, they could, you know, you would have the advanced Star Wars, re- whatever it is, that the High Republic of the future, whatever, could interact with the Federation at some point in time. So they could, they could, in in in, in theory, interact. You know, you never clear the rights. You never clear the rights. <laughs> 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 to be fair, though, I mean Disney have got their eye on Fox. Yeah, true, well, true. yeah, a, a Star Trek, Star Wars crossover, and Star Trek. As I and the Enterprise has gone back in time. Yeah, well, they've done a bit of everything, haven't they? I can, you know, you, the fans would just go. <laughs> they, they could I'm never ever do it. Ju- they could never do it justice, could they? It's just like you know the. I suppose with 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 Discovery, you've got something that's a bit more serious and a bit more hardcore and stuff. But you know, generally, it's a bit it's a bit cheesy and you know like that. Where Star Wars is kind of a bit more serious, and you sort of kind of had like a Shatner, you know, facing off against like a Darth Vader and stuff. It, it wouldn't it wouldn't it would have to be. I think it would have to be along the lines of Discovery. It would have to be darker, and you know, it would need to be sort of I don't know rogue one slash sort of thing where it's like yeah. you know it is a bit gr- it is a bit grittier but yeah i don't i don't think it's a crossover that that could work <laughs> you know one of, one of my very favorite things on the internet is um pat oswald one of my favorite comedians yeah, and yeah. again a massive geek a massive sci-fi fantasy geek he was invited on parks and recreation they said to him why don't you do a filibuster so just like talk for ages without pausing and he was like can i improvise it and i said yeah improvise it that's fine so it improvised a complete Star Wars Marvel crossover story yeah. for like six minutes, like without pausing. It's one of the most wonderful things you've ever seen. And just everyone in the background is just kind of <laughs> it's all off the cuff. And it's like actually sounds really great as a storyline. But oh, well. but wow, it's just um yeah, just one of those but you thought I did occur to me, well actually you know what? Both Disney now. <laughs> you know, you yeah. could, maybe you could do it. You know, maybe. Just like, it's a Disney princess yeah yeah well yeah this has had to be super careful and stuff like i'd love to see some dc marvel sort of um there crossover. has been a dc marvel crossover in the comic books yes oh, yeah. yeah in the comic oh, yeah. book, i'm just like talking sort of uh in the oh, films uh, yeah oh. i've seen like i've seen some of the comic but like i would you know that would be something i wouldn't mind seeing as much as some of the fans would sort of probably sniff at it but um yeah. you know i would uh, that would be good. I I want them to make an Aliens versus Predator movie that's fucking good one of these days. You know, uh, the first one, the first uh, ABP film was 
okay. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't it was as good based, as the Aliens films. It, it was based. It was based on Hunter's Planet, though, wasn't it? And they didn't really do the Hunter's Planet storyline justice. Yeah, I don't think I, there was a lot. There was sort of kind of there was sort of like nods to the Hunter's Planet um, sort of storyline, but they could have just done the Hunter's Planet, you know, and it would have been. You know, to be fair, the first AVP comic was a fantastic yeah. uh, combination of the two. I mean, that, that by Dark Horse, and yeah, it was just re- it was true to both franchises, and that's why it worked. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen, like Star Wars aliens would be. I've seen some awesome art of like you know Darth Theater literally being sort of uh, attacked by aliens and stuff, and that would be awesome. That would be quality. Yeah, but, but I mean, the aliens is now is 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 there an aliens? comic book series coming out soon i think there is and since obviously marvel owned is owned by disney yeah could be, could be but also then you've had um aliens versus uh not uh, superman which is just weird yeah mm. yeah it sounds weird well you got to say he was punching out aliens goes, look you don't need to kill them punch like you can punch me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll stick to the pulse rifle. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, thank there, you. there's a um, what? Oh, what is it? There's a there was an Aliens versus Mister T comic book. It's a it's a fan one. It was hilarious, man. And it's like there's a bit in it where he sort of kind of uh, <laughs> I can't. I, I'll have to Google it and stuff. But he basically he's just like there's aliens and he's like he's like blasting away at them and the smoke sort of settles and he's he's missed every single one of them and he's like, did you not watch? Did you know what eighteen four? I kill nobody. <laughs> so yeah, I'd settle for a decent alien film for for a bit, really. Not yeah. a great one for a while, have we? Yeah. Oh no, it was Prometheus and Covenant, which is just you had so much potential. Yeah, I don't think and they were bunk- bad. I don't think they were bad. They were. They were. They were brilliant science fiction films. Yeah, but they were not good. Alien films, they kind of ignored a lot of the established law, and also just there was so much dumbness. Yeah, I'd agree with that, definitely. Yeah. So much like, no, listen, we need this for the plot. You can do some, like, oh, this is mine. It's like, look, like in the first film, the geo mapper gets lost, the guy with the map gets lost. Someone who has had like you know, an alien embryo taken out of their stomach uh, is now running three, three minutes later. Now my wife's had like you know, a C-section. She couldn't move for four weeks, so because the arterial muscles are severed, you cannot run around after three minutes from something like that. Mm. And then in the the sequel, um, Covenant, like the dumbness of the <laughs> like <laughs> this this knowingly psychotic android is looking this points at the early egg. Oh, what is it? Sticks head in egg. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, you deserve to die. And also, the fact that the sensors on the ship, they could always, oh, they never detected the massive city and the docking system above the city. Like, what sensors is that craft using if you can't yeah. miss something like that? So it's just like, because it was needed for the plot, but yeah. then you're not thinking it through properly. That plot doesn't work. Uh, the, the best sort of... Um... No, the best sort of like it's not not the like Predators, uh, the film Predators. Um, I loved. I thought was so good. Um, and you know, it's like there was the Alien versus Predator, which I didn't really like. There was Alien versus Predator Two, which was super naff. Um, yeah. The most recent one, um, 
Predator. I haven't se- the Predator. I haven't seen. Yet. I haven't seen that one even. No. Yeah, but I've I've heard really bad things about it. It's <laughs> yeah. a shame because uh, is it Sean? Bl- oh, what's his name? Yeah, he did the original one. Shane Black. Shane, Shane Black. Yeah. Uh, he he obviously he did it, but um predators which is completely underrated it's such a good film you know it's, it's got some really good stylistic um parts especially the yakuza guy facing off against the predator and they do that sort of kind of above sort of view and it's it's so good i, I really enjoyed that film and i just kind of wish they the problem i think they get is they get they parody them slightly too much they kind of try to be too old school 80s sort of film with them yeah. and a lot of them are like really super cheesy and stuff and it's like it works in the 80s it doesn't work now you kind of yeah. need to sort of move on from it and um yeah. I, I would must yeah i was massively disappointed when that neil blomkamp alien film oh yeah was dropped because this is going to be a sequel to aliens yeah. that sigourney weave and michael bean like you know involved and completely ignored all of the Alien Free and Alien Resurrection and AVP and all that. It's like, nope, nope, nope. Sequel to Aliens. And it's like, and then the um, thing you was Fox turned around and said, no, we, we're focusing on the Alien prequels. And we went, oh. Uh... So the one, the, one, the one scene that endures with me from Prometheus, sort of dumb, was the the ship is kind of a wheel, isn't it? It's like a sort of, yeah. like, a, like a bike wheel almost. And the, it's rolling across this planet. And the the profess the scientists are running away in a straight line, but you have to move, you move six foot to the left or to the right. You're fine. Straight past you, <laughs> away from it like a chase scene. <laughs> Just ridiculous. You're meant to be intelligent characters. You're not. You know. You're not like sort of. You're not shreddies that are meant to get killed off. You're like leading the expedition. Oh, just stuff yeah. like that jars so much, you know. Well, no, but the way I look at it is basically it was Wayland Corporation that running up um, operation. Basically, their recruitment policies were naff, and basically they had to kind of uh, bring in the Utani Corporation, who are you know com- uh, competent but fundamentally evil, to yeah. form the Wayland Utani and kind of get where they are now. So that's how I look at it. The yeah. in-universe explanation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, you know, I I hope there's not an end to them. I I do want them to sort of try and par through and get some good sort of. Uh, I've heard rumors of an alien TV series. Oh yeah, right. yeah, that would which... be good if they did. Sort of, did you ever watch a series called Tour of Duty, which was like a Nam series that was on like Channel Four? Would have been like many years ago. I've not watched uh, it, but I know of it. Yeah, uh, you know, and I would love something like that. It would be like a Nam series, but with aliens. So it would be like you know, Colonial Marines but sort of like you know they're in well, again if they're approached in the style of like the expanse or Battlestar galactica that's the level of kind of level of gritty realism yeah which is so iconic in the aliens uh franchise then yeah you you nearly you'd knock it out the park with that but if they went for kind of like a monster of the week shoot em up style thing it just wouldn't work no no there was a very good series of um short films they made about alien uh they're up on youtube somewhere oh. but it was a 20 i want to say 25th obviously 35th yeah oh anniversary. yeah they did like five or six and they were really interesting it's kind of again, it was just something a bit different kind of you know like i said almost like a not exactly a tv series feel but it was kind of a, a sort of different take there was, yeah, was uh, kind of there, there was a a fan made predator film based in medieval times oh, yeah. um 
oh what's it called uh predator uh let me see darkage it was a predator darkage yeah predator darkages um and uh it's sort of like you know 20 30 minutes long i think and it's basically a bunch of knights um you know and the predators come and it's them fighting it's 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 really good um it's worth a watch um there's also a, a alien there's a Batman versus Alien versus yeah. Predator uh, fan Comic. film. Uh, oh, film. Okay. There's a there's it's on YouTube, and it's literally Batman chased down the Joker. Then the Joker gets nabbed by an alien, and then you know Batman's basically fighting aliens, and then the Predator comes in, and it's just like it's it's so obs- it's it's insane, but it's really good. You know some of the fan fiction stuff. You know some of the fan stuff's really good. Well, have you seen like the um, Aliens Encounters? That was a live action um, alien experience where basically you were led by a group of colonial marines and a Will and Utani scientist through a, a biomedical research institute and they're fully assured that the xenomorphs are you know, captive and will not escape. You're absolutely safe. <laughs> and at that point, the guy gets nabbed by an alien and kind of shuffled through these different rooms by these colonial marines. And it's really good, actually. It's a lot of fun. Did you do it? Because I, I heard about it and I, I was like, oh, I, yeah. would love, I, I would love to have done Oh, I that. did it. I did it, um, I've done it twice, actually. Uh, one time with Trevor Steven, who played um, Wazowski. From Aliens. Oh, right, no from way. And that was a lot of fun. I mean, he goes, just like, he's a huge grin on his face because he knew what was coming. Um, but yeah, it was basically just a lot of the prop makers and the rep- rep- just and the UK Colonial Marines group just kind of banded together and made their own alien encounter. And it was really well done. Um, like, no, the one thing that really kind of threw me off a bit was that the sound effect we came in through speakers rather than through the object that was making the sound. Yeah. So basically, like, with the guy was kind of firing his pulse rifle off to the left, but the speaker would be to the right. Ah, uh, right, okay. So that kind of threw me out a bit. But other than that, it was really good. Like, the, the uh, they had some real kind of lots of dry ice with alien eggs, and then this, this, this again, they kept the lights down low, and this kind of xenomorph came stalking through, and he went... Right, okay, time to go. <laughs> <laughs> that the, the, uh, that, and, the pulse rifle sound, man, and the, that yeah. sort of uh, that sort of like elephant sound when the the aliens yeah. get shot, iconic. I love this. Absolutely, so it's yeah, and they replicate that sound, but again, it's through the speakers rather than through the objects. Um, and like ends with like you know, the like yeah, the end of this corridor. The Columbians are trying to punch in the code for this door and keep getting it wrong, and this alien is stalking towards you, and you really get kind of. Go on, get the door open, get the door open. <laughs> and then they can, at the last minute, they're going to smash the door open and go, everyone, get out. And just basically, you'll just charge out. And about every half hour, you'll see kind of about um, five or ten people pegging it out. out <laughs> <laughs> did they do this thing where they take a photograph of them just before they're like freaking out? In the room? No, unfortunately, <laughs> but they showed up. I one, one time... I've, I was speaking. I was interviewing the guys about seven years ago. Apparently, uh, one guy uh, was got so worked up about, during the during the encounter that at the end he shoved aside the colonial marine that was punching in the cord, slammed down the open the door, and just legged it. <laughs> he went, "Fuck it, I'll do this." <laughs> Bashed the door and just burned it outside. There. And therefore, they're like, okay, mission accomplished. Oh man, that'll be amazing. The closest I've had to anything like that is like um, they had uh, it was like Jameson's Movie Club or something. I think they did this thing where, like, uh, in the print works in Manchester, 
uh, not right. Pitworks, it was in the um, the Great Northern in Manchester, and they basically set up a cinema to watch Aliens, and they had, like, during the filming, during the film, they had people dressed up as colonial marines walking around, and people dressed up as aliens and stuff walking around, and it was awesome. Nice. It was so good, so good. Oh, such a good idea. <laughs> right! Oh, squeaky toy. Um, all right. Uh, sorry, it's my dog's. Squeaky toy. Is that just getting attention? Is that like a gal? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Falling for water with a squeaky toy. Well, we, we've, we've hit the, uh, we're just about to hit the two-hour mark. So, yes, I think we'll leave it there. It's been super interesting, though. Um, really, really enjoyed tonight's conversation. Um, is there anything you need to, is there any sort of kind of projects or anything you want to push, uh, Alex? Anything you've got? That oh, you, you, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of weirdly relatively quiet on that front because, as I say, with all the restrictions and such forth at the moment, I don't have half of what I would normally have to uh, have to plug at present. <laughs> so the only thing I would mention, um, I'm doing uh, at the minute a series of um, online writing workshops, uh, which are, if you look up um, Alex Davis Writing blogspot.com i believe um it'll be something like that uh yeah do, do a series of kind of pay what you like online workshops so if you want to find out a bit more of writing um on the whole that's something i'm doing during the uh, strange period we're living through uh, i've been doing those since about july and they've been really popular so going to be keeping those going for a while yet so that's the, the only thing i can think of that i have to plug <laughs> thank you very much brilliant well thank you very much for your time on it was no, um, majorly me. appreciated um for tonight i've been matt geary uh with me has been peter ray allison thanks everyone and look out for each other and our guest alex davis thank you very much thank you for listening everybody night everybody bye